Greetings and salutations. You've successfully arrived at the bloody, disgusting network. The passage of time will now bring you to something strange, unique, and idiosyncratic. Have a good time. Happy holidays, trick-or-treaters, dreamers, campers, suspects, and deadites. Michael Mistletoe can be deadly. Rothman here. Today we're reaching under our proverbial Patreon holiday tree to unwrap last year's discussion on Sophia Tikal's 2019 reboot, reimagining, remake of Bob Clark's Black Christmas. It's a fun episode hosted by the Wolfman himself, Mackenzie Gerber, and featuring special guest Jen Adams of the Losers Club, ever heard of it, and Psychoanalysis. It's hard to believe it's already been three years since this film hit screens. Seems like the discourse was just yesterday. Anywho, enjoy this spirited chat and stay tuned next week for our top 10 horror movies of 2022 before we enter 2023 and meet our friend to the end, Chucky. And hey, if you dig this episode, you can get dozens more just like it, including our latest episode on another Black Christmas, all by becoming a member of our Patreon, The Rewind. You can find a link in the description of this episode, or you can visit www patreon.com slash Pod. Hope to see you there so we can give you one more scare. Damn, son, look at all of these monsters. Come on, all of you monsters, out of here. Everyone, out of this room. Come, ah, ah. You, on the bed. Come on, out, out, take a hike. Happy holidays from the Halloweenies. This is Wolfman Mac here, and I wanted to start today's episode by reading a passage that is near and dear to the members of the DKO fraternity. Man possesses powers so formidable they can only be considered supernatural. With a roper education, men can wield these powers and go forth into the world. Now, For those uninitiated, I'll have you know, those are the words of the founder of Hawthorne College. That's right, Calvin Hawthorne, the real culprit behind 2019's Black Christmas, the second sequel. I don't know how we designate this movie. We'll get into that later, which is uh, the second sequel to the original 1974 Black Christmas. That's right. We're here to discuss and talk about Sophia Takal and Jason Blum's team-up. But before we do, let's go around and discuss the first time we saw the film and where we uh, were we ever a part of a fraternity or a sorority in, in that realm. And what was our experience uh, if we were in college with that? And uh, if you were informed by Hawthorne's Black Goop, all joking aside, I think it'd be interesting to hear that perspective. But let's start with my brother. Hey, this is Justin Hawthorne Gerber. I didn't have a nickname for this episode, but I'm looking at my notes. I thought, man, that'll do. I was in the fraternity during my my brief stint at Florida State University. Hmm. And, you know, it's like I discussed on the House on Sorority Row episode earlier this year. You know, half the guys are great, half the guys are assholes. It was kind of a great representation of the country. And um, (laughs) and wherever you land on that, you know, you're going to be right either way, 50-50. I would say this movie was extremely accurate. We had a bust, and we would have ceremonies every month, and we would obviously take from the black goo. And this would obviously help us in our grades. 
and our uh, ascent to power, as you know. I'm a very powerful person right now. <laughs> now, Justin, you jest, but you know, even if you, even if this was the, the case, are you allowed to talk about this as as, as being? A well, here's something that's member? important to know, and, and they don't. They kind of they briefly touched on this in the film, of course, but uh, because I uh, did not graduate from Florida State University, I would not graduate until years later at the great uh, North Carolina State University. Uh, the goo no longer had its effect on me. Oh, okay. So. Okay. I can, and then I, I feel comfortable breaking protocol and uh, giving away all the secrets of secrets of the goos, Ooh. as we as as it were. Why didn't I call myself Justin Goober? I didn't give myself a name either, so um, you know maybe I'll use that. What was your first time you saw 2019's Black Christmas? Well, and you kept you kept saying this was like the second sequel. I thought, I oh, know this is the second remake. Mm. No, no, <laughs> no, these movies. Are connected uh, at all? Uh, I, actually, I did not watch this. What happens is when a movie comes out and it gets extreme aggressive discourse on both sides, <laughs> I tend to wait like a full year before I sit down and watch it. So this is one right. of those examples. I didn't watch this actually until last year, which I cause this came out in was it late twenty nineteen? Right? Yes, it was. Okay, so I actually waited until the war was over, <laughs> you know, and I just watched it last Christmas. By myself, or maybe it was even earlier this year, very, very recent, actually, uh, on HBO. Thank you very much to HBO Max. We appreciate all your, your service over the last couple of years. You know, I, I, I kind of, I, I definitely didn't, I don't hate this movie. Some people actually just out, out hate it. Right. There is actually a lot to like about it. I think it just, I mean, we'll get into it later. I think it really falls apart in the last act. But um, I'm looking forward to talking about it because, like I said, it's not as, this isn't The Room. I mean, this right. isn't uh, Baby Geniuses Two, right? I'll put it that way. It's not that <laughs> bad of a movie. You know who directed? About. You know who directed Baby Geniuses, right? The great Bob Clark, who directed the original Black Christmas. <laughs> oh, what a what a connection! Yeah. Pulling that out there. All right, uh, let's move over to Mr. Vanderbilt. Well, that would be Mike the Diva Cup Vanderbilt. <laughs> oh. oh my. <laughs> oh damn! I'm sorry. I apologize. Okay. <laughs> this is actually a perfect hey, and um, it was analogy for the movie. In, in the you film. stole yeah, it. Stole right. in the film. I, and I put it on the mood table in front of the Calvin Hawthorne bust. <laughs> the mood table. <laughs> I I a big surprise. I was never part of a fraternity or a sorority, for no. that matter. Uh, never went away to college for more than a weekend. Uh, I, you know, community <laughs> college guy for the most part. UCLA, the university closest to Lagrange Avenue, uh, uh, Moraine <laughs> Valley down yeah. here in the South Burbs. I actually, but I, since then, I have collected three degrees. Oh. I have an associate in the arts from Moraine Valley, an associate in paralegal studies from South Suburban College. My goal was to just get associate's degrees from every community college, and maybe that would equal a master's degree. I don't think that's how that works. And then eventually a bachelor's in business management with a focus, concentration in accounting. Uh, I play the bar every Saturday night down at the Rock Island Public House. There you go. <laughs> I, we love higher education here. Higher education. At a, you know, I don't yeah. regret it, though, because I learned a lot of stuff about, you know, especially uh, getting that business management degree that does help me in my day-to-day either podcasting or bartending and all that stuff. I agree. I was very, I, I, you know, I read a lot. I, I did I did absorb a lot that I still retain to this very day, you know, decade and decades later. So I have no regrets. Uh, am yeah, I, no am regrets. I using anything in my degrees right now? Uh, no, but 
I did learn a lot, and I think it's important to, to stay wish, in school, kids. Wish I'd taken that risk, maybe, and gone and failed, like in a different city, like LA or New York, or you know, said, "Fuck it, I'll get the film degree." Although I don't know, have you guys? Did you guys? Did anybody here actually? Since we're discussing movies, did anybody attempt film school at any time? I, I, I tried and I did not uh, get in. Uh, this was my first go around. And so I went, okay, well, that's a wrap on that. Yeah, and I, I just moved I, on. Like right. most Columbia College uh, attendees, I didn't finish. I got like a couple of years under my belt there and it was just too damn expensive. That's another issue. Yeah. I, another I, day. I tried to get in uh, to FSU's film school when I first got in, uh, but uh, I had already been accepted as a student. So they were like, you have to essentially uh, apply as a incoming junior and you have mm-hmm. to spend the first two years just doing all your prerequisites for that course. And right. then I submitted everything and they didn't look at my application because a teacher didn't turn in their recommendation on time. So I would have had to come in as a senior, which meant I would have had to spend another three or four years in Tallahassee, Florida. So I decided to become a theater major at that point, (laughs) which (laughs) I will say to some extent, I do use that degree on this podcast. (laughs) I will say I I got a little closer. It was between me and Barry Jenkins. Uh, see that's State. that's so, that's the I real. think they made the right choice. I think yeah, they I think the right they, they they did they did make the right choice there. <laughs> no no offense, just though. The uh, the first time I watched this movie yes. was last year in preparation for our Black Christmas episode because I really wasn't sure exactly which movie we were doing, so I figured <laughs> I would just watch them, get them all get them all done, and I listened to the song Black Christmas by the Emotions. And uh, we ended up doing the 06 one last year, of course. And I watched this one and I will say, uh, what did I think I rated it two and a half stars last year, but my opinion has changed since the rewatch for this episode. And we'll discuss oh, that later. Interesting. And then we're going to move over to a very special guest and let us know who you are and where you hail from and what you do. Hey, this is Jen. Uh, you messed with the wrong sisters, Adams. <laughs> and I, um, I was not a member of a sorority. I went to Belmont University in Nashville, which is best known for being the site of the last two presidential debates. Not the last two, but this the final ones in all the cycles. Mm. And it was a Southern Baptist school. I didn't spend much time on campus at all, so I was not really. I went to one Greek party, I think. Um, but I do use my degree. Um, I was a music ed major and I used it as an actual teacher for a while and now write curriculum. But but I dated um, a fraternity, a former president of his fraternity in as a part because I just waited tables all through college. And so I dated my my restaurant friends were my friends. And so he would have his like former brothers visit and like he could say all of the Greek letters and everything. He was really into it. And it was actually um, they were Deeks. So every time I heard like the, like Ooh. it's different. It's not DKO. I think it was DKE. Mm. It's like, oh, shit. And he was he was a nice guy. But you know. when like you, Justin, like when there is a lot of um, really intense debate, especially when it has to do with like a female centered movie, mm-hmm. I tend to like really avoid it. Like I still haven't seen Promising Young Woman. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, I was Me like, neither, I mean, yeah, yeah, I'm, I got to watch it this year, but um, it's pretty good. I liked it. And I like the ending that everybody 
This like it's still just, it's not, it has still not been spoiled somehow. Yeah, I know. Yeah, but Jen, I'm, gonna say, I'm gonna watch it. I'm gonna watch it this month because it's been it's, a year. I feel like yeah. okay, now nobody's talking about it. Nobody's getting mm-hmm. upset either way. I'm just gonna sit down and absorb the movie. You know, if I may offer an opinion, it's not the movie people wanted or the people expected, and thereby they were upset. And mm. you got to review the movie you saw, not the movie you wanted to well, see. And- Along those lines, that's kind of my feeling about this movie. Like, I'm glad yeah. that I waited. I watched it last year. Um, I, probably, I think right before we did the two, the episode on the 2006 movie. Uh-huh. Um, and I, there's a lot that I really love about this movie. I think I really love the movie that it wants to be and the movie that it thinks it is. And I mm. still really like a lot of things about it. But I've also got... Like, I want to distinguish, I like this movie a lot. I don't think it is a great movie. You know, I think it's got some big problems. But there's a lot of things I really love. Like, I love how vocal and loud it is about its feminism. You know, I like how it's not allegory. It is like they just shout a lot of things that I tend to shout about. So I love that. I think a lot of it kind of falls apart in some ways, you know. Like, sometimes the message and the allegory overtake the plot at points but mm. i you know i just like movies that are like really really feminist even when they're not perfectly feminist you know hey and that's okay you know yeah exactly <laughs> yeah and i mean i can't imagine i'll have any more thoughts about that as we <laughs> continue this discussion <laughs> Uh, great great well and and my first time watching this was uh a few days ago and i also waited because well i waited just because i i I saw the trailer and I thought that's the movie and guess what it is. So, uh, watching it though this time and, and after, I guess it's to me, it was funny because after, after hearing all of the, the discord and everything about the film watching it and I'm about 45, 50 minutes into the movie, I was kind of like, okay, this is a 2019 horror film. Maybe it's not great, but by no means like, awful like wait i don't know what people are talking about like why are they just running this film through the ground you know because and there were some moments that worked for me and stuff and i was like well they're kind of on the right track here it's not you know it's nothing's going to be the original but i was like okay you know for a 2019 remake but man yeah the last 25 minutes uh some developments happen and uh i I don't i don't know uh i don't know we'll we'll, we'll get into it obviously as we continue here quite new either (laughs) Well, and there's some there's some points to that too. We'll get to. Um, so, uh, without further ado, let's move to our next category. Our first category being introductions. <laughs> our next category is back of the box. The box. You opened it. We came. is a means to summon us. Now, I want to talk about the trailer to this film, but I feel like we'll get to that later. I'll bring it up. So let's start with the synopsis, if you'll bear with me. Hawthorne College is quieting down for the holidays as students travel home to spend time with their families. But as Riley and her sorority sisters prepare to deck the halls with seasonal parties, a mysterious cloaked figure starts to leave a bloody trail throughout the campus. Refusing to become hapless victims, Riley and her friends decide to band together and fight back against the psychotic Christmas killer. I think that's a pretty good synopsis that doesn't give away too much. You know what I mean? It, it makes it seem very like a singular killer. It makes it, 
you know, gets the point across, but it doesn't, you know, spoil everything. I, I kind of wish that they had just posted this, this little paragraph on the screen instead of showing the trailer that they do to promote the film, because this is a film I would have gone to see in theaters. And this was also, it's interesting because do you, thinking back, this was December, 2019. So this is pre-COVID. Do you, does anyone ever think back and, 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 and even, even in the, the, the face of all the discord think, I wish I'd seen that on the big screen in theaters when I could have. About this movie? Yeah, I would have enjoyed seeing this one. Yeah. I was just thinking like any movie really that came out in those (laughs) those months leading up to like, I was just, you know, I think the last film I saw was Last Action Hero at the Music Box, Uh, (laughs) you know, and before that, I think it was... 2001 and I was like man I could have I could have ended on 2001 being my last film in the theaters but obviously we've come back around and the theaters are open again but um getting back on track Black Christmas 2019 was written and directed by Sophia Takal and she co-wrote the script with April Wolf now has anyone seen the short that April Wolf has out there called The Widower I haven't either uh I kind of want to check that out you know I like to imagine Sophia Takal was sitting in her home when the phone rings and it's Jason Blum who then proceeds to say, we're doing a remake reimagining of black Christmas. And I want you to helmet, which is essentially what happened. And also I want you to do it in six fucking months. Yeah. Yeah. No. And I, and I talk about well, that here. Yeah. She is that I wanted to ask you guys there's a little bit that, of a backstory to that. Oh, is there, do you, does everybody here remember that infamous tweet about Jason Blum and female filmmakers. I do. Now that Jen, you do, you remember it, this? Yeah, it. Jen. I, I, yep, yeah, I do. And I feel like this was a oh, holy shit. I, I've got to, I've got to, you know, yeah. make make good um, yeah. on on this rebuttal. What do we already have in the hopper? Yeah, no, exactly. No. Oh, wait. Let's let's go. Who, who did the Hulu movie? Or you know, I mean, exactly. Yeah. So Takao's she had done an episode of Into the Dark on Hulu, which was. This is funny. A horror anthology series where each episode is inspired by drumroll, a holiday. So yeah. it's kind of perfect. Mm-hmm. But Takao said that uh, she wanted uh, to make a movie where instead of feeling objectified or watched from a distance, the audience felt seen. Now, uh, in an interview I watched with Collider, she also said that there was no script when the proposal was made to her. The film, uh, Bloom said that the film was shooting that summer and coming out that year. So no pressure, right? But that, that checks out with what Justin was saying about, you know, the, the quick turnaround of trying to get, you know, some female-led projects out there. But is that the, you think that's the quickest a major studio motion picture has turned around in recent years? I would say in recent years, it's possible because we talk all the time about in, in the uh, the franchise horror movies from the early '80s, they were turning stuff around. You know, like right. the movie the, the the previous movie comes out. Okay, now you've got you know three months to write this script, and then we're going to be shooting for a month, and then it's going to come out in two months. Like that, that was such that was such par for the course back then. But yeah, this seemed like a pretty quick. It's like an old school. Here's the title. Now make the movie. <laughs> yeah, know? the Roger Corman school. Yeah. Mm. And I guess, you know, when you're looking at a film like this, which is the the plot of the original is pretty simple. So you think we could probably bang out this script, you know, and get it get going. Essentially, if you're keeping it to the the, the sorority house, you know, is one location. I mean, you know, I think in in their heads, I can see them thinking we can do this like very quickly. 
You know, Sophia said that she was a big fan of the original. And in the interview, uh, went on to say, I think for the time it was made, it was way ahead of its time in terms of dealing with the, with issues about women. I wanted to make a movie that felt similarly contemporary about women's issues today. How do I make that movie that feels the way Black Christmas felt in 1974 in 2019? It was really important to me to make a movie that addressed important issues like sexism and campus sexual politics, but was also really fun to watch and was filled with thrills and chills and could entertain an audience as much as make them think. Now, that last line kind of sounds like she's been doing those interviews all morning and you know, just falling into the mm. thrills and chills, you know, commentary. I love thrills, chills, and spills are like my favorite adjectives. Um, I know, I know. And used. she goes on to say <laughs> it was important to her that the women fight together and derive their strength from one another, and that is what she's seeing in the world today. Now, Takal talks about Blumhouse being great because their films are so fun and scary, but have something to say about the darker aspects of humanity, which drew her to the project. Blum, in some interviews, cited that he thought the film turned the slashers of the 70s and 80s on their head through the prism of the post-Me Too discussion, as well as uh, being through the eyes of a woman, as a female, of a female director and writer. So I'm throwing a lot at you, so if you guys have anything to say, just (laughs) cut in. Yeah. Now, for better or worse, Takao wanted to make, she wanted to market this towards younger women who were interested in the horror genre. So I believe there's a cut, uh, there's a good bit of R-rated footage uh, that was cut to make it a PG-13 film. So I don't know if that was initially the intent, but um, there is a, there is a, a, you know, a, a more graphic cut of the film out there. Maybe we'll see that eventually. As I was watching it, like if this, if this is the PG 13 cut that we are watching, is this 111 minute cut never made it out. Right. To the best of my knowledge, Mm -hmm. did it make it the Blu-ray? It's pretty violent Mm -hmm. for a PG 13 movie. And two, I hate when these days when studios are always like, well, we have to have it a PG 13 movie to get this younger audience in. Like who was going to see Friday the 13th movies in the eighties? Uh huh. Totally. It wasn't grown folk, you know. Yeah. Like the the last time I remember when American Pie, uh, I know the Gerbers, one of their favorites, came out. Like that's <laughs> yeah. the last time I remember there <laughs> it's being Tokyo like a, Story, American Pie, <laughs> eight and a half. <laughs> when we went to see Four that, out. and I was nineteen, so it wasn't an issue. But they were carting at the door at the uh, the local theater at the AMC Crestwood, and that's the last time I remember there ever being like a big stink about actually making sure that people had to be the right age to go see a movie. Yeah. Like most, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you guys have been to a movie theater lately, I know. but most, most people from the front desk to the produ- projection booth don't give a fuck. My parents weren't going to go see, you know, Deadpool too. <laughs> you know <what> I mean, <laughs> well, that's, that's, so that was, that leads me to my first question was I wanted to ask, starting with Jen, when you were young, what was your introduction to horror as a, as a woman? And was it, was it a PG 13 film or like an R rated movie uh, that you saw that you weren't supposed to see? So do you, and do you think that that approach to making a horror film works? Cause I remember seeing a lot of things I was not supposed to, but I also remember being, I actually also really remember being excited after watching a preview in the theaters for like something that was more horror or action oriented and seeing that it was PG 13. Cause I was like, Oh cool. I can, I can actually see this on the big mm-hmm. screen 
and not have to be like sweating that some usher is going to come down the aisle and take me out of there. Uh, yeah. What What was your yeah? So what was your introduction to horror? Well, aside from Stephen King, um, my introduction to horror just in general, like as a genre, was Scream, and um, I saw it when I was sixteen, and that's R, isn't it? Yeah. So I don't I don't know how I could see it in the theaters, but I have vivid memories of walking into the theater and seeing it. Like I remember what I was wearing and it like, that's what really hooked me into horror. And that's, you know, that also has a really, really strong female character, several, but I don't feel like it is overly bloody, but I also don't remember being aware that it was R like, I don't, I I'm sure it made a difference because I do remember sneaking into R rated movies. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, I like like the approach, like you want your audience to see your movie, but your audience is going to find your movie. It's just, I think a lot of the problem I see with that mindset is kind of like about a bigger problem, which is how ticket sales really drive the industry right Right. now. And that's like that a movie like this, you know, it, it, I would rather it be geared to um, the movie it needs to be rather than the movie that's going to sell. But I mean, we live in reality, whereas like if a female driven movie doesn't sell, we're not going to get another good one for or we're not going to get investment in another one for a long time. Mm. So I get it. But yeah, like that wasn't what hooked me in. Like what hooked me in was the characterization. It wasn't like the brutality of it, which it may just be like I wasn't one of those kids that clamored for the next Friday the 13th movie. Like I was really into Stephen King, I think, because of a lot of the character driven stories there. And that's what I loved about Scream. Like the 90s horror is my favorite stretch. And that is not overly bloody until you start to get into the Final Destination movie. So it was really like the characters that I went I was going for. You know, I don't know if I answered your question or not. No, no. I mean, we're just chatting. So, Justin, did did you feel like making something PG-13 is a good way to to get audiences interested younger audiences interested in that genre because i guess my, th- my my thought process there it's 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 difficult because if you are making a film to get them into films that are normally r-rated it, it, it's like it kind of doesn't it kind of works against you a little bit but i i guess there are a lot of pg-13 movies where i'm like that could have just been rated r like I, I, they pushed yeah. the envelope there or whatever so i don't know what do you think justin well i haven't taken this might shock people I haven't taken a, a teenager to go see an R-rated movie in decades. Uh, so it's hard to say how easy or how not or how hard it is to get in these days as opposed to, obviously, you know, the American Pie days of, of, of yore. Mm. But if you're, if you're going into the mindset that it's going, to be, it's going to be very difficult to reach out to young, specifically in this case, to young women, to be able to even see the movie at all, unless it is rated PG-13. I get that. I get that point of view. But from what I've heard, it is fairly easy to get into R-rated movies these days. You know, And you could tell. I mean, even watching the movie, you could tell there were, there were certain cutaways that felt like, oh, there probably was a little bit more visceral scenes going on there. Mm-hmm. Actually, there mm-hmm. are a couple scenes online, I think, or... There are a couple scenes that were deleted that are definitely a little more violent. They kind of linger a little longer. Mm. But at the end of the day, it's just such a hard thing to comment on because I, I, you don't really hear that a lot. Like, well, we really want to get a lot of kids in. We want to rate something PG-13. Now it's kind of like throwing everything at the, at the wall because censorship in, in terms of violence is not as strong as it was 30 years ago either. You know, so I don't know. Right. 
it, it's a and, tricky it's a tricky thing to maneuver around i think and i think to jen's point about ticket sales driving these things now and this movie's got to do good or we're not going to kind of make this kind of film again with the, the leadership and whatnot it's strange when looking at film on the big screen versus you know like i just think like unless you have unless you're really sitting down with those parental controls like for teens like anybody can go to their friend's house or have like an ipad or something and, and get a netflix account and watch all this stuff, the R-rated things, and the, I mean, like, have access to all these things. So it is kind of strange that that was a driving force behind the decision. Like, who's going to the theater? And, and it's, it's very strange, because we don't have, you know, video rental stores anymore where people are checking your ID to make sure you're 17 <laughs> to rent R-rated <laughs> movies. You know, it's pretty much anybody can just kind of access anything if you have those streaming platforms. Mm-hmm. And, and when I look at the, like, children's versions of those platforms, they're always, you know very like ch- like things that you would watch under the age of four years old so it's very confusing how do you how do you stop your kids from watching those things unless you're just like on them like a hawk i don't know but ultimately i don't know if it really worked or didn't work but hey i we got to talk to some kids that were 13 14 at the time that went and saw <laughs> well, it the movie affected, it definitely had to have affected what well, i guess it didn't it was a really strange thing it affected the box office in ways they probably weren't expecting because still Right. It was like it bombed. Yeah. So it the bombed. film was, yeah. it was released December 13th, Friday the 13th, uh, in 2019. And it went on to gross 10.4 million in the U.S. with a worldwide total of 18.5 million, which is not a lot. I don't think that's a lot. I think a lot is like, what, 30 million? No, if not that. like in the. <laughs> Hundreds. You know? I mean, that, yeah, that was a. I mean, depending on how much the movie was, ma- you know, made for. Yeah. Or whatever, well, that's you know, the thing like, about Blum. I was surprised their... that he was like, well, he wanted to reach more people. I get it because Blum is kind of like a rich man's, and I mean this domestically, uh, uh, Vanderbilt. So don't get upset. Like a rich man's um, Roger Corman in terms of like he'll make a cheap, <laughs> no, quote, a, a quote unquote absolutely. cheap movie, like a cheap movie, absolutely. like five million. With the hopes of it making fifty to hundred million, you know. I mean, I know we badmouthed Jason Bloom a little bit, you know, He's savvy. some of it in He's chess. Savvy. But when I watched him on that Joe Bob Briggs episode, I really kind of I took a shine to him. I kind of like his style. He is very much kind of a snake oil salesman producer, but he seemed to know what he was doing. But to that point, I think if you really wanted Black Christmas to be a success, and you kind of maybe understood that there might be some backlash on the internet, which we will certainly talk about later, because I have a couple opinions on that, is that if you say, yes, this is a horror movie, you know, made for teenage girls, but we're not cutting back on the gore. We're going to give you you know, everything that you want, not that, not that women don't crave gore as well, but stereotypically like to give it to the boys, like you weren't going to give you all these terrific special effects, which was a selling point of this style of movie in the eighties. That would be the way to do it and kind of maybe have that, uh, you know, stick it to the man sensibility. It's an R rated movie. You'll be able to go see it. Sneak in. Yeah. Yeah. And there's like an intrigue to that, you know, and I think when I think about the argument about should something be 13 or PG 13 or R, like the movie that always sticks in my mind is the gallows, which I actually haven't seen the whole thing because I didn't like it. And I think the argument with a lot of those is like are by putting by making it PG 13, are you losing something in the final? Like, are you losing the gore? Are you losing the extremity of the movie? And is that 
what makes it like kind of not as entertaining. Yeah. And I don't think that's the problem with this movie. Like, mm. I feel like this movie is brutal enough. And if you look at the original, that's it's not a super bloody movie. Oh, it's right, not overly right. brutal. And like the kill that bothers me the most in the first one is the the plastic kill. And that <laughs> is in this one. Yeah. But it's yeah. it's the plot. Parts. It's the the rushing, I think, to get this out, I think, that is really what hinders this movie, not the fact that it's PG-13. Totally, totally. So, And then to that point, so knowing Tikal's take on the film and her expressed desire to make something that walks that line between horror, important issues, and fun which is, I think, a decidedly extremely hard line to toe. Oh, yeah, that is a really thin <laughs> Horror, <needle to> <laughs> important, issue, important issues, sure. but also making a fun movie to watch. Uh, I don't know where the fun comes in uh, wholeheartedly, but was Takao successful? And that's where the film kind of didn't work for me. And, I, and I, again, it's like, the, for me, it was like the first half... I was like, yeah, you know, I think there's a, there's a big message being said there. I think it's absolutely being driven home. You know, uh, it's loud, it's in your face, but you know what? Maybe that is how it needs to be for these younger audiences that are dealing with loud and in your face social media every two seconds of the day. You know what I mean? Like this isn't, you know, and, and knowing that they're trying to aim it towards younger audiences, it's not for 30, 40, 50 year olds, you know, like, so I get that why it is the way it is. And I didn't mind that at the beginning. That's why I was so confused why people were like, you know, there's such vitriol over the film, but I think that whole last 30 minutes, and we can just talk about it now, getting into that, (laughs) I think it wholly undercuts the whole point of the movie by making, by making the, the, the bust and the, the black magic actually what's responsible for these men like it's bring, bringing out this dark side of men that's not normally there oh. but it's like no it is normally there these things actually happen in real life so it's like by saying that you're kind of like it i, I did not like that and, and that really kind of ruined it for me and i didn't mind like you know and then obviously having the women band together and all that stuff if that hadn't been in the trailer like what a cool what cool twist you know that would have been like a really fun moment coming in and then having there be like a fight scene like the problem i think my problem mostly with it is i didn't like the supernatural element i don't think you needed it i know they were trying to make something maybe different from the original but you know if the original movie sucked that'd be one thing but like it didn't it's really good why are you going to try to deviate so far from it and then also like, I really do feel like that just kind of undercuts the whole message of the movie to some extent. I mean, and, and I think that's where they were trying to make it like fun, a fun watch. And now there's a little distance. So it's not as hard to watch because it, of dealing with the realities of like rape culture and college and stuff. But again, that's a really hard line to walk. What what, what do y'all think? Oh, I loved it. When that Jägermeister started <laughs> pouring out of the, the head, <laughs> I says, I'm in. And here's why. And it's kind of similar to how I feel that is because I actually think I enjoy this movie a lot more than Halloween kills. I love how stupid it gets stupid with two O's towards the end, because it turns into an EC comic at that point. Cause you get this great first hour where it takes everything so seriously, but it's, I don't want to call it like the spoonful of uh, Jägermeister, the spoonful of sugar. <laughs> it, it makes it a little bit more palatable and it just, I, I like kind of the, the battiness of it all. It works 
for me because I don't know how how should it have been how should it have gone at that point. Should well, it? I, okay, I just just take out the supernatural and just make it some bad dudes. Like, I, I think as hard as it is to talk about this material and even just in a critical setting, no matter how nuanced you are, you know, it's difficult enough. I think it's ten times harder to actually make it and and to try to incorporate a sense of fun or you know queuing up moments for the audience to cheer in a goofy fun way when you are dealing with material like you know assault throughout throughout the movie i mean that's the crux of the movie is that is the assault that happens on riley and i can't think of many movies that have pulled it off and i just don't think this is another one that was able to do it and i do think in a way you are kind of softening the blow or you're softening the accountability of the serious material that, that, that went into the first hour. And it's kind of like the same problems. Let's talk about it again. Halloween kills. You know, you're dealing <laughs> with this serious material, and then you're, under, you're just constantly undercutting it. And I think that that is – the movie's affected in that way. I think that's what kind of hurts the last half hour. If, if it was just them really going by the teachings of this asshole Hawthorne, and not incorporating like actual magic, it's a little more palatable <laughs> to me. Like, I, like I, first uh, of all, I believe a little bit more. And you are still just making interesting comments about the passing down of 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 toxic masculinity, as opposed to the goo literally being toxic. <laughs> you know, like, it's just it became oh, too it, hammer over the head, and I, I just kind of oh, lost myself though, in the metaphors. It's like I, an I old William know. Gaines story. It's like something <laughs> yeah, out of but Tales the thing from the Crypt. Is, but William Gaines stories from start to finish have that really nasty bit of fun about them, and I wasn't getting the nasty bit of fun in the first you know seventy minutes of this movie. Though, see, That's I think the there's a gallows humor through that first half that is present, uh, and I, 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 and I, I, like I said, I think this one. I think this one works better than most people uh, give, give it credit for. Oh, so, so I think so. It's, is it safe? And I don't give us your rating yet, Mike. But I right. think I think I see where you're leaning uh, more towards this second round, this second. Yeah, absolutely, Justin. I, I I do agree with you. Uh, I it didn't didn't quite work for me. It kind of yeah, just didn't work. I'll tell you one thing <laughs> that didn't work in the climax for me that. And now I get, I mean, I, this might be the place to talk about the thing that I do think undercuts the message of the movie, because I believe this movie does have a yes, all men message, which is something I stand by 100 percent as someone who has had a grinder account that it is, in fact, not just waspy uh, men that are the problem is when they make the nerdy guy. Like he should have done a heel turn. Oh, like he yeah. sort of does, but it's because of a goo like. And then he well, kind of comes back. I think yeah. the better message would have been, it, no, it's the nerdy guys you got to watch out for, man. That's the, they're the, they're the, they're oh. the real, it's not just the, the, that's the, the images of the frat boy jocks that are the, you know, the, but it's, it's, it's truly all men. It's funny you say that about that character. We'll get into it when we get into the cast, but uh, there, the, he, let's just say he played someone else. That was, that was problematic. And also, but still very nerdy and, and very, uh, you know, normy, I guess, in a sense. Well, some recent movies, I can say, I think the best comp you can make for this movie is the, is the recent Slumber Party Massacre. <gasps> oh, I love that movie so much. Okay. It might be my favorite of the year so far. Yeah. I so, mean, Jen, you, so, Jen, you know, so. I don't want to get into because there's a lot of stuff that happens in that movie that is actually quite, mm-hmm. oh, wow, they're actually doing this. Oh, they're yeah. doing this. Mm-hmm. And that's obviously dealing with, you know, the aftermath decades later of, 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 
a literal slasher movie event that happens, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But they pulled off because it's kind of over the top from the very, very beginning. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, so they're kind of able to maintain that tone of still kind of, you know, you're maintaining some tension, but the, the over-the-top, on-the-nose material is far more forgivable in that as opposed to this where you're kind of this serious movie and all of a sudden it's like, oh. And yeah. what, what happened here was, you know, it, it really reminded me of, this might be way too deep of a cut, but in Wet Hot American Summer... Uh, 10 years later, like the last 30 minutes of that, of that series is Michael Showalter as Ronald Reagan explaining the entire series and what actually happened and what everything actually meant. And that is what the Carrie Elwes character reminded me of in this movie. Totally. Mm-hmm. You know, just a lot of, Big well, let's, let me explain <laughs> this and let me explain that. I'm like, oh my yeah. God. It's just, it was an, it was a nightmare to hear some of the dialogue in that last now, to be minutes. fair, it is Carrie Elway's and his delightful accent with his delightful face, um, and I love him. Uh, you yeah. Know, but do, yeah, do I agree. appreciate <laughs> the the Ridge accent. Yeah, I mean, sometimes oh, yeah. I, I feel it's like he just... always leans on the American accent. I know he was doing. I think he did for Porco Rosso that uh, Miyazaki movie. He did the he did one of the air pilots, but it was like this bombastic American, and I was like, no, <laughs> like do no, your, do he your has voice. such like a, like such a, a good perfect voice. British accent. It's like it comes like straight out of Dickens or something. I just love him. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I agree. There is a gigantic exposition dump at the end, and there's a huge <laughs> tonal shift, you know, which yeah. and I think. Because what I love about this movie is the outline of it. Like, I love where it's going. I do, you know, I am willing to suspend a huge amount of disbelief for the end. So it still really works for me mm-hmm. because I think I like what it is saying. I think a lot of, like we were saying, the it's a really, really thin line to walk. And I feel mm. like six months is just not enough time to really work through all of the plot dynamics of that. Because I do, <laughs> right. I don't mind the supernatural element. I don't mind the fact that the goo is toxic masculinity. I don't mind the <laughs> fact that the, like, that the, like I like kind of what they're that they are venturing into this yes all men no not all men waters I like that I just feel like none of it is really handled particularly well it like gets like 75% there and Mm. then that last 25% is just real messy and I feel like with maybe another year or another like month to pass through the script and to maybe have it reviewed by a couple more people I feel like it could have tightened a lot of that up you know Jen to that point though I've seen plenty of independent horror movies that people have put their quote-unquote whole life into (laughs) And they're nowhere near as good as the Black Christmas uh, remake, you know. But that's also, you know, this is this is what you've spent in the past three years of your life making. I'm sorry, you know. (laughs) That's also like having way too much time, and no one's saying no. You know, like you have to have that balance. Deadlines are your friend. They are. They are. I think they make you. You know, it's if you put someone in a box, and I've said this a billion times, and it's like Spielberg. As soon as everybody just started giving him all the money. And no mm-hmm. one's no one no one around him is saying or challenging him. His movies just aren't that interesting anymore. You gotta kinda be like, you have this much money, make this movie, and you've got this these deadlines you have to make and challenge some of these people again. Yeah. Uh, mm. that's this what was to obviously America's next a, top model. Nobody told you. No. <laughs> but th- but this was obviously a difficult situation. The turnaround time was yeah. ridiculous. It was very short. So we I don't know, we we won't ever see that film, but 
You I know, feel like with uh, a year, like a year production time, I think would yeah, have been a fair yeah. amount of time for this. And if I think about a movie that I, I personally think handles this really well and says like, wears its message on its sleeve, but also kind of nails at home. And a lot of people hate this movie, but I, it's the, the perfection, which is a Netflix movie, which I fucking love. Have oh yeah. That? Pretty, that was pretty good. I like that one. That's a pretty interesting movie though. I think that, it that is. that's There's, kind of a bonkers from the start though. I think that mm, that works pretty you're well. You're right. And you're in like, yeah, there is a big old tonal shift. I don't feel like the the big tonal shift really ruins any of the first part of the movie for me, mostly just because this movie is saying a lot of things, again, that I say all the time. So that <laughs> gets me a long way towards enjoying it. You know, like I'm willing to overlook a lot of messiness for that. Yeah. You know? I mean, it's like me in the theater with Rise of Skywalker. Like I'm a big Star Wars fan. And... God, I tried my damnedest to like really see what they were trying to do and what well, they were mm-hmm. trying to do. The, you know, like I, li- I, I like the idea of what. Yeah. Having said all that, you know, I, I'll watch the movie from time to time. I'm just a fan and I, I, of the genre or whatever, but I do feel like, you know, sometimes you can get yourself there a little bit more than the movie. And, and, and you know what? If you enjoy it, yeah. you enjoy it. You know, like it's, it's subjective. Not C, everybody's going to see it the same way. Most movie are C pluses to B minus, including the Star Wars <laughs> sequel trilogy and probably Black Christmas as well. And I, I'm a big fan of C plus B minus movies. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm a big we fan spent, of a lot of movies spent, that people would give an F to. I'm my God, sure. we've spent the last four years talking about those B minus C plus <laughs> movies with great unironic affection, might I add, you know? They're just fun. Sometimes it's just a fun movie to throw on uh now i i did want to talk about the very end because they there was an interview where they were talk, uh, talking to takal about the the last moment there's a weird look that imogen poots kind of gives when she's looking at the fire uh as the place burns down um you know i think she's kind of smiling at first but then it kind of fades and the the person that was doing the interview was kind of like, like what, what does that mean? What are you trying to say? Like, a lot of people are trying to d- decipher what that is. And and she was basically saying that what that is is like you can't let your guard down. Like, yeah, you think you won. You think everything's over and, 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 and you've won out. But we have to keep fighting. And it's never really over when you feel you defeated the bad guys. And the, I actually thought that that was pretty... Yeah, pretty I like good. I, I didn't think it was like, ooh, there's going to be a sequel. Or something. Yeah. She's looking at something actual, you know. Like I, I did pick up on that, and I, I do like that because that's very true. Even in the, in the greatest of moments where you think you've triumphed over evil, or you know, you, you finally got that win, you really can't let your guard down because you know what? This is the real world, and in the real world, there's no black goop, but there are really bad things and bad people, and you kind of mm-hmm. have to stand up so i didn't know if you all had a different take on that ending than she did because like you know it's like the old flaming lips song evil will prevail and i feel like there's a worst case scenario in this due to like all the carrie elwes exposition dumping that like like jen alluded to especially where she does turn around and say no it's not over we've got to keep our guard up it easily could have gone down that road i like oh, the fact yeah. that you just yeah. have the look on her face it fades slightly you know, it, it, this well, will continue. It, it wasn't that good. That wasn't fraternity houses. It's yeah. a very, <laughs> that would be pretty fun. Actually, that would be pretty funny. I would, have, yeah, I would say that would be pretty funny. It's a very retro kind of ending in that it just stops. It yeah. reminds me of a lot of uh, like 60s and 70s Giallo where like, something happens, like the climax, and there's no epilogue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's no the detectives coming and cleaning it up. It's just over. 
done. And I, another another thing that I really enjoyed about this movie. Yeah. And then uh, there's that weird end tag. There's that weird end tag with the cat. Yeah, what's that supposed to mean? Oh yeah. Well the cat oh, is well. now the patriarchy. Yeah. That oh. is going to carry the goo. <laughs> because it was a female cat, right? Yeah, yeah, I thought it was bold. <laughs> so that was the confusion. It, it should have been like a like Rusty the cat or something. That would have been a little yeah. more. Like, oh, now no, like this but, cat, but this I, cat boy. <laughs> I thought it was bold having that tease in the post credit sequence where you know Claudette oh, yeah. the, Claudette the cat when mm-hmm. when when with, with drinking like the Thor's founder's blood. In the desert. Yeah, I, th- I thought the sequel would be called Cat Christmas. Blacat Christmas. Blacat Christmas. Meow, okay? it's serious. Is it, it alicard okay spelled backwards? Is it okay to give animals Jägermeister? I mean, I'm just going with the fact that the black goop is Jägermeister. They said you can't give animals dark chocolate, but you're able to give them Jägermeister. That's what I've always yeah. heard. I've oh, given boy. plenty of We had a dog that really liked Corona. Really? We'd give him only Corona, though. Mm. Give him just, oh, boy. Give no, him I don't know if bit. that's, I don't know if you should be doing that, man. <laughs> <laughs> I actually hadn't noticed that moment at the end. That's interesting. I wonder if it's just because that's kind of that, that is so internalized in women is don't let your guard down, you know, Maybe, because I yeah. think that's probably exactly what it is. And like, yeah. I feel like because like I say in many, many things I write, like the roots of the patriarchy are deep and that is the mm-hmm. system that we it like is the foundation of our system and which is why they burn the house down, which I fucking love that moment. Like that is this is burning down the patriarchy on film which Uh i love that might be my favorite image of the whole movie but like there's a sadness there too you know that like that's what it took to survive i had to go that that far yeah yeah and like the other like we're not gonna see the end of the patriarchy in my lifetime like that's just we're we're hopefully gonna make some progress but it's not like it's it is so deeply entrenched into every fabric of our lives that like, or every fiber of everything we do, that it's just, it's like the air we breathe, you know? And so a small victory is great, but yeah, there's there, how many fraternities are there on campus, you know? Yeah. You know, I just realized though, you know, they were, Riley was so concerned about the cops, not believing them about the the bodies left at their sorority house. Yep. What the hell are the cops going to say when they (laughs) discover they burn those people alive in the mansion? Very true. Wait a minute. You're still going to be in. I guess by that by that reasoning, though, you're still you're going to be in worse trouble. Right. Um, But now it's. But now you're contending with probably almost all the sorority girls that survived having the same story. You know what I mean? So it's like I think there's a little bit more. Yeah. But I I agree, Justin. I was thinking that too. I was like, oh shit. Do you think they tell the cops about the Jägermeister in the uh, statue, or do you all agree? Like, let's just leave that part out of it. They said, well, first of all, they're not allowed to have any beer on the first floor. So I think that was well, another early liquor. So yeah, where was, was their, where was their RA? Code, yeah, where was their RA? <laughs> major code violations. <laughs> I have a couple of things. If, yeah. uh, can, I, can I bring a couple of things? Totally. Back? Absolutely. Okay. Let's get this out of the way. Do you think if this movie was called something else, it would have, rece- it would have had a better reception? So, and that was my next point was there were obviously a few nods to the original in this that I caught, but it is very much a different movie. Yeah. It just happens to take place on a college campus and deals with sorority. I thought I was, I was wondering the same thing. I think there is a thought in the world. Now here's the other stupid thing. The black Christmas remake. Now I didn't watch it, but by no means did that do well. Right. And it wasn't no, any no. good. So why 
do you make this movie and use the Black Christmas title when the only thing that people are probably referencing that are the, of the younger audiences you're trying to get to is the remake that didn't do well and that's not good? Do you know what I, I mean? Like, why would you yes. attach it? Like, there it's not like it's not, this isn't Predator, this isn't Alien, <laughs> this isn't you know it's it. There's one movie that's real good and it came out in the seventies. <laughs> like, you don't. People don't recognize Black Christmas unless you're a horror fan. So it's like, why did they feel like they needed to, to title it that? Why couldn't they just make a different movie? I have a theory in this. Well, I think I mentioned it on the last Black Christmas episode we did, and we still haven't done the 1974 one. Maybe next year. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. know. You never know. Could be. Who's to say? <laughs> uh, I think that it's just a great title. And even people who have never seen it before, maybe just associate it. With Christmas, I think maybe uh, people maybe misconstrue people who aren't horror fans, uh, mm. conflate Silent Night, Deadly Night with Black Christmas. And I think that actually the Black Christmas remakes probably have more in common tonally with Silent Night, Deadly Night sequels. Like if you were to slap Silent Night, Deadly Night six and seven on these, maybe they would have been received better. But I also kind of like the idea of every couple of years, we're going to get a movie called Black Christmas that deals with women's issues of the time. Now, 06 really doesn't do that uh, from having like an all-female cast, but like 2019 does. And 74 certainly does. Like Roe mm-hmm. versus Rave was one year before that movie comes out. And this movie comes out, what, one year after uh, the Me Too movement kind of kickstarts? And couple years, if, yeah. if every couple of years we get one of those, that's, uh, I we don't know. This one really wasn't successful. I don't know if this one did well on home video. I, I'm streaming (laughs) in the rental market. I don't know how it did afterwards, but to your point, if it had had like a different, you know, stupid Christmas name like Sleigh Ride or Uh, yeah, Sleigh Ride. I mean, there are lots of posters that say Sleigh, Let's Sleigh or something. Yeah, 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 that's true. Sleigh Girls, uh, Black Goo, the movie, whatever you want to call it. Black Goo, the movie. Let's let's make some mock posters. It's beginning to do a lot like Jägermeister. You know, all you can think of when you said that, Justin, is is Gooby. Gooby from Tim and Eric. Yes. So maybe it would have done the bear, the bear movie. Oh, the bear, Gooby, the movie. Oh, God. Yeah, everybody... When you've got a chance, please YouTube. <laughs> we'll we'll do be. a Gooby mashup of Calvin Hawthorne. But horror fans do take that that original movie very seriously. Yeah, yeah. And I'm past that point of caring about that shit anymore because I've seen all of my favorite horror movies remade into junk. And yeah. this one was better than that. But there's that immediately there's an immediate uh, need to react to that and be mad. All remakes suck. And then people come in and if it no, some remakes are good. And then a lot of people decided that they already loved this movie before it already came out a lot. Like uh, the ghostbusters, a uh, 2016 one where I, then when it comes out and it's a C plus to B minus movie, nobody wants to, you know, nobody yeah. wants to eat crow on that. Uh-huh. You just described yeah. why I waited 365 <laughs> days to watch 2019's Black Christmas because I was normal, I, I was so people. tired of all the discussion about it. I was like, just let me enjoy this by myself, please. Yeah. Normal people will see something and go, all right, uh, maybe I'll check that out. You know, that's uh-huh. why I love talking with especially horror fans who are nowhere near Twitter or couldn't tell you their favorite horror journalist or their favorite horror site because they'll just be like, yeah, I watched that Black Christmas movie. It was pretty good, uh-huh. and that will be that will be the end of the conversation. Yeah. I, I love talking i love talking with those people i can see a lot of those people at rock island public house so before justin you get to your second point jen you you wanted to say something I think. oh yeah well i mean i completely agree with what you're saying my guy like i love 
that it because we have the 2006 remake, which tried to remake the original and mm. I think did it poorly. Um, it, there are some interesting things there, but it didn't update anything in a like thematic way. And you're right. Like, I love that it is a female geared movie. I love that it deals with abortion. I think if I were to have like, if I were in charge of this remake, I would have made the abortion thing more um, the centerpiece of the 2019 one. I think that's a smaller story. And I think, but I think it is just as relevant, but I also think Mm -hmm. it would be easier to thread that needle. Mm. Um, but yeah, I love that it is, uh, that it is not trying to remake the first one, but it is still thematically linked, you know, cause I could see these, like the, the connective thread as being members of the same sorority, you know, and I think that is what bought me in because I don't want to see the first one remade. I think it was remade. I think it's, all, I think it's impossible to, a to do it. Movie. Yeah, yeah. I don't think you could yeah. do that. Totally. I mean, a lot of it has to do with the era and the aesthetic. I don't think you mm-hmm. could ever recapture that yeah well there's a restraint there that i think has to do with the time period that i just think we a lot of filmmakers and and that's and that movie has uh, a lot of weird comedy in it too which is why maybe (laughs) black christmas 2019 kind of does have more in common with that like the weird the comedy bits kind of i don't i don't know i can't explain to you why black christmas works the original one works as well as it does because there i think if that movie came out today the same critics who love it now would complain that about the tonal shifts that that movie takes Mm -hmm. and that most of it is unresolved. Yeah. But that's what, one of the things I love about it, but yeah, I agree. Okay. Uh, Justin. Okay. Now I I, got to talk about the structure here because it, it, this reeked to me of, of reshoots or not reshoots, but just cutting and pasting. I don't understand why you would open this movie showing the ceremony, right? Now we know that there's probably multiple people involved Something else is going on here. And then you have her, you know, looking through the door and seeing the ceremony happening. And then you're, she automatically suspects Carrie Elwes is involved somehow. Why would you do all that if you're not going to subvert it somehow? It's just, no, this is, right. this is it. Like, I thought there'd yeah. be some twists of like, actually, that, that wasn't what was going on. This is what was going on. It was very strange storytelling like i I can't imagine that that was in the original draft of okay now we're going to show we're going to open up this movie with the ceremony happening blah 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 i just don't feel like that was the original intent and maybe we'll never know but i don't know that that kind of also put me off to the fact that now you're just going to be kind of on the nose with a lot of stuff especially in the last half hour and you're taking away the element of any twists that could possibly occur or that you know i don't know that that bothered me yeah, no, well, I, I agree. Me, yeah. yeah, I think I I don't know. I don't know if it necessarily bothered me because to me it feels like the gaslighting that I just kind of deal with all the time is like we see men doing this terrible shit, but then we're constantly convincing ourselves that it's fine so that we can carry on with our day. So I kind of like that it just is what it is throughout the whole movie and it is just like finally buying into that and making that explicit. And I think it is clunky, you know, I don't think it totally works. And that is probably a big reach for me to make, but that that's why I don't think it bothered me. I feel like a lot of what doesn't bother me about this movie just feels like my lived experience, you know? And I wonder if that is because it is written by a woman, you know, Mm -hmm. to this point, I want to talk about the trailer. Trailers today just oy, give way too much away. This, this isn't the 60s through the 90s. 
where you saw a trailer in the theater and that's it. People have access today to trailers, clips, specials, interviews. There's a fucking trailer before the trailer these days. Yeah, exactly. There's a teaser. (laughs) There is literally like a five second teaser to the trailer you're about to watch in five seconds. I don't understand. That is is the worst. That's the thing that I found out there's a reason for that. Why? Why There's actually a reason for that. It's it sucks for the viewer, but because it's technically counted as ad as an ad. So there's some type of a money eyes situation going oh, on there. That that's stupid though. How cheap? Yeah, that's just so cheap. Capitalistic bullshit. That is. Anyway, well, we're not gonna make it, are we? You can. <laughs> yeah, like, we're not. A, yeah, we're not. Sign number one. <laughs> you you can watch these things a billion times before the movie comes out. You know and. Some of that simply boils down to willpower, you know, like you just have to, I, I have to make the conscious decision to not watch trailers after I've seen them once, even though have I have other act- things to do, have other things to do with your day. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't <laughs> I sit there and I'd watch <laughs> these trailers over and over and I have for some movies now. Uh, th- but, but having said all that, this trailer is incredibly spoilerific. Now, let me just, let me just go through this. And I, I know that there was some issues when this came up, some people had this to say about it too, but I hadn't really seen the trailer. I kind of stayed away from it. I, even though I, I heard that you see the whole movie in the trailer, essentially, you know, like when I, I think when I first watched it, but I had forgotten it, essentially, you know, it had been a year or two. And, uh, but in the trailer, they, they show the first kill, which, okay, whatever, you know, like you got to show something, right? Uh, with the snow angel kill, you know what I'm talking Great about? Great kill, by really the way. Which I think is yeah, good. Yeah. Yeah, is that the good. first time we saw that in a, a Christmas theme movie? The, the actual the snow, snow angel? The, the snow angel. I, I was I trying think to think Jack of another Frost one, yeah. Probably had it too. Like, <laughs> yeah, maybe. But <laughs> I think that I thought that that was a really strong image, great good opening, good, you know, good opening to the to the film. But then they show Riley unhood the masked man in the kitchen and in the trailer it's weird, it's the bust of Calvin instead of the face of the of a guy with the black goop. Hmm. And they're like I I can't believe this is happening. Like what what is happening? And I was like, that is, that was, that would have been really intriguing. And then going go into the movie and that doesn't happen. I would have kind of been bummed actually. Yeah, it was um, a twister moment. Right, right. Uh, maybe it was like an intentional mislead, but, uh, but here's the thing that, that bugged me the most. The trailer goes on so long. They show Fran dead outside. They show Jess with the glass in the eye and the Christmas lights wrapped around her. They show Helena at the ceremony at the end, get her neck snapped. They show Cariel is talking to Riley in a hood in the ceremony, like being devious. And she's like, you're all insane. So then you know he's involved. Uh, it, it, the, on, and then to top it all off, you know, you have the big moment where Chris comes in and is like, oh, bitch, you messed with the wrong sisters. And they show all the women attacking in the, in the finale. So... And again, these might have been purposeful attempts to draw in, you know, young women into the film, especially that sequence. But I just feel like all of these are, they're all the, the reveals of the movie. They're all the reveals of the movie of, of who gets killed, essentially. Yeah. Which so, reeks to it, me of not trusting your movie. I, I agree. Mm. And it kills the suspense. Now, again, a lot of people I talk to aren't like avid film goers like us where they can watch a, a trailer like that. And then they don't retain it and they forget it and they're it's not gone. because yeah. they don't, yeah. because they don't really watch movies the way that we watch them and they don't know the actors or the actresses in the movie. And so it's easy for them to kind of forget it by the time they watch it again. And they don't record an hour long episode about the trailer. <laughs> exactly. Yes. <laughs> exactly. To fair, it's a universal acclaim to be fair. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's true. Those are really fun. They're always really well received. Or like also in the, 
in the second trailer, there's that sequence where Helena's in the bathroom and she's all by herself. And it's before she gets kidnapped, essentially. And she like goes to spit her mouthwash in the sink. And when she leans down in the trailer, there is a hooded man at, behind her. But in the movie, that's not. And I was like, oh, that's right. a missed opportunity. Because that, that felt very Friday the 13th. I, I did some research on that. Yeah. And all, everything that you've mentioned, those were, that's all CGI that was added in just for advertising. You're fucking with me. No. See, I, I that, saw that in that, a GIF, and then I was looking for it in the movie, and he yeah. wasn't behind her in the movie. That, like, that was specifically for, for advertising. So I'm not sure if it was advertising as in, well, I don't think they had any intention of you know, deliberately misleading anybody. I think they were just trying to say, oh, look how weird this is. No, there's always somebody around. Yeah. Uh, it was very strange. I don't know. I understand a little bit. Now, I, I got really mad. Like, what's okay? So, when Avengers Infinity War came out, right? In the trailer, there's a sequence where they show all the superheroes like running to the last mm-hmm. fight. And they have like the Hulk and they have things that didn't end up being in the movie. Like, and, and I think those were intentional misleads. Mm. However, I don't like that because you are essentially selling a different movie and then you go in and you see something else. Well, it's and the I, Adrian I, Brody I, I, with the multiple predator targets yes. on his chest and predators. That doesn't, and that doesn't in happen movie. in the movie. One. Yeah. So I think that is, I do not like when they do that because I think it's intentionally misleading the viewer to get them to come in to see something that they're not going to see. It's, it's a promise they're not making good on. They've made a promissory estoppel and they're not <laughs> going through with it. And I want my money back. Whoa, um, whoa, whoa. Now, easy, easy, I will easy. say with this movie, I don't know if any of those things, uh, you know, I I wasn't like, oh, I wish that was what was in the movie. It was just, it just wasn't what was in the movie for some of that stuff. My big problem was showing all the kills and showing all the reveals. Because if you hadn't shown any of that stuff, I think that stuff would have worked a lot more. And I would have actually really been... I would have been, I don't know if I would have been surprised because I knew it was kind of going that way with the women coming together at the end and fighting the, you know, the men, but what a great reveal that would have been for people that, you know, don't watch these things every single second of the day. (laughs) If it hadn't been in the trailer, like I don't, you didn't need that. And I, I, I agree with Jen in the sense that they didn't trust that the movie, the bare bones of the movie, the mislead of the movie, like the first hour or whatever was, they they didn't trust that that was going to be interesting enough to get people into the theater. And so they felt like they had to show all that stuff. And I think that's sucks. Well, and I think there's also, cause it, it, there's a little, it feels like there's a disconnect between the marketing and the film, which is a lot of the problem with Jennifer's body and that movie not doing very mm-hmm. well. It's just mm-hmm. where they were. And I think Jennifer's body is a better movie than this, mm-hmm. but like, I think, and you know, I know I, I made the comment about the hour long um, episode about the preview, but I was on the last one when we were talking about screen <laughs> yeah, I know, right? <laughs> and I, and so I kind of blame myself for this trailer in some ways, because <laughs> I would have been if it had been like, like in the it chapter two trailer, where it was just that scene with Mrs. Kirsch. And that's really all we got. I would have been like, okay, well, are they going to take feminist themes? Are they going to band together? Are they going to do all of these things? So I wonder if this was to appease the audience that they knew were going to kind of attack it. And I also remember when the don't breathe two trailer came out they were like, what is this? And there was this whole like discourse that I also kind of had to, that stressed me out a lot. So I, it just is so fraught, and I feel you need like to start muting more people, Jen. I That's really what you gotta do. Start doing. I know. <laughs> I, I know just... they're your friend. I know they're your friends. Mute them. You got to do it. I know. They don't yeah. need to know. They'll never know. 
They they won't. Well, I've muted some people. Um, but yeah, I wonder if it is that they they were trying to appease a lot or just trying to kind of put it out there that, yes, we are going to be a feminist movie. But I also agree that movie, that moment is the best moment of the movie. And I saw it in the trailer. And yeah. I know a lot of men, that, a couple in particular, that didn't go see the movie because that was in the trailer. And they were like, I don't want to see this movie. Well, and that's hmm. that's the thing is like when you make movies like this that I think I know it's geared towards younger women, but I think, you know, this is this kind of thing that young men need to see. Do you yes, know what I'm it saying? is. Like, yes. It'd be like mm-hmm. the, that's the Say audience. That again, Mike. <laughs> but that's what I'm saying. Like you, you they, preach they, the choir otherwise, you know. Exactly. And that is that's my big pet peeve with films like this is they never it never gets to the audience. And and, and like you said, if you show that in the trailer, there are gonna be a lot of young men that are just kind of like, oh, another movie where like women bend the other, I'm not gonna go see this. But right. have they seen the movie and then like gone through the experiences and seen it through the eyes of you know Riley and stuff? Like Maybe they maybe you don't change their mind immediately, but maybe you get in there somewhere. Mm-hmm. And I think by showing that that stuff in the trailer for these kinds of movies, you're doing it a disservice because you're turning off an audience before you get to make, you know, tell your tell what you need to tell to them. And I think that happens with a lot of films that deal with any important topic, you know. Yeah. And so I think it's you know other topics are much harder to be like well. That's, that's that's absolutely what this movie is about. How how do you steer people away or not or not give away that that's what it's about kind of thing? But well, I'll say this, Mac, too. That I think though, looking back, I mean, I know we say like trailers spoil everything nowadays, but I mean, it's been doing this for forever. When you really, but, if you look at, look back at movies from the seventies and eighties and sixties, I mean, especially sixties were the worst. They was just like. They would t- explain the whole plot to you. Friday the 13th literally counted down every murder in the trailer. Now, some of those didn't actually happen. But what I'm trying to say is it was also stupid then to give away all the surprises. You're right. You know? But uh, to, to the credit, like I understand why they felt they needed to do all that back then. Because that was the only time you were ever going to see it. Right. Was that Just one once. time... If you happen to go see a movie before, you know what I mean? So they needed to yeah, be something true, true. That, that you, because then it would be months before you saw it again, or maybe even saw a trailer on TV. Maybe it's like today you don't need to do that. I'm like, just give me a teaser and that's it. You don't need to give me anything else. I think that's more interesting. That's why I think I like, you know, the way that JJ Abrams and their team market things. Like they give you like nothing until it's like really close to the date. And, then and I everything. think that's really intriguing, like the Cloverfield trailer and stuff like that. You know, like less is more, I think, when it comes to certain movies, I guess. But um, anywho, we've talked a lot about the makings of this and the movie itself. Um, there was one thing I wanted continue. to bring. Yeah, go there ahead, was one thing ahead. I wanted to bring up before we move on, because I think it's worth talking about. Do you guys remember the hubbubaloo about Joe Bob Briggs and this movie? No, not exactly this uh, movie. No. He he made yes. it. He retweeted uh, an interview with uh, Sophia Takal and April Wolf, and uh, his tweet his tweet read: uh, "Allow me to click on this because I had this prepared and ready to go." He and he came under he came under fire from the usual uh, ding dongs on <laughs> on horror Twitter because what he said was. What I love about directors from the 70s and 80s is that they had no political axe to grind, no message, no social justification for horror. It was just get a load of this great story. I don't want to be told how to watch a movie. And he was he used this opportunity to go into a lot of like subtext versus text. And I think that's the big difference between Black Christmas 74 and Black Christmas 2019, right, is subtext versus text. But 
to like we uh, Jen has uh, expressed, sometimes text works as well, mm-hmm. right? So, and I think a lot of people maybe misconstrued his comment. Yeah, that's the yeah. only comment I have. I feel like we had to talk about this because I remember sitting in my kitchen when this happened and just you know, despite telling everybody you ha- you should have everybody muted, like just following <laughs> following the trail down and mm-hmm. seeing who was running their mouths about this. Uh, just, do you guys have any thoughts ooh. about that text versus subtext and uh, '70s horror and '80s horror not having a social justification? Although he has expressed that was a blanket statement. He goes, "Not all like." It was just different back then. Not all movies. Hashtag not all movies. <laughs> uh, no, I think he's obviously, that was definitely a blanket statement because there are movies that had statements to make, even if it was subtextual. I, I, I talk about this all the time. Though. More often than not, I do, I do, I want there to be more subtext because it's something more to discuss or something more to analyze and, and, and think about. Because the text is just the text. And, and I've, I've been saying this for the first hour. I mean, like the, my, my big problem with this movie is in that last... It's not just the last half hour, actually. We'll, t- we'll talk about it as we go through the characters, but yeah. everybody and a lot, so much of the dialogue and the actions are just so on the nose or textbook that they don't feel like lived characters, you know? Totally. Yeah. But we'll talk about that in that, in yeah, that section. Because we'll I, I think there's it. something to be said about. I think there's a place for both, you know? Yeah, Yeah. because part of what I love about this movie is that it is not subtext. Like, I I have written a bunch of pieces about how, like, slashers and the masked killer is, like, an allegory for the patriarchy. And I love that this movie just says that, you know? And I think the problem here is that it doesn't quite do it as well as I want it to to do. But, yeah, I also think that with a lot of women's issues and a lot of female-centric movies it's been subtext for a long time and it's had to be subtext for a long time and so then i think it's refreshing for it just to be the text here hmm. and, and and i think to joe bob's point and there well we we kind of talked about this a little bit with like sleepaway camp right where it would be one thing if roy moore came out and said this is what the original black christmas was really about and this is what i was trying to say from a female perspective like about, you know, the, what they're dealing with and stuff. But I think a lot of this is retroactive, like projecting on that film, probably a message that we're seeing now because of the way that things have developed over the future. And we go back and we look at that film. We're like, Oh man, like this is so ahead of its time, but they didn't know necessarily that they were making that movie at the time. And I think that that is, that is also kind of what's difficult when, when you're looking back at these classic movies and you're saying, well, this is great because of this, 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 but it's only because of the events that have happened after that, that have informed our opinion on why we like that movie. Now. Well, it's like in Jaws. The only reason we don't see the sharks because the shark didn't work. Right. Yeah. It wasn't purposeful. Yeah. Tommy Wiseau saying, Oh no, the room is always supposed to be a comedy. <laughs> like it's like that type of, you know, retconning of, yeah. of history well, and, and how I- we view things. I think there's a difference between the text, it not being subtext and like forcing the text too. like, sometimes the text is the text because that's just what the character is like. That's what's happening. Like Jess is pregnant mm-hmm. and she wants to get an abortion and that's just what's happening with this character. It's mm-hmm. not, it wasn't intended to be a movie about abortion, which is, I think maybe a little bit of the trap that this one falls into is I think it is really trying to be a movie that says something important. And I think that kind of gets in the way of, of everything outside of the text of it, you know? I, I agree, I Jen. Agree. I think that yeah. a lot of this stuff probably read 
great. Like if you're sitting there yeah. reading the screenplay, but it's one thing to read it. It's kind of like, once again, like the old Harrison Ford, like, you know, you can write this shit, George, but you can't say it, you know? <laughs> so I'm sure a lot of it, I mean, obviously it's the road to hell is paved with good intentions in a lot yeah. of ways too, with, with some of the stuff. Cause you know, yeah. when you're actually seeing it happening on the screen, you're like, Oh, Oh, that moment at the end, you will never break us. Kapow! Oh, and, and that would have worked for me. If it wasn't, if we weren't getting bombarded for the last twenty minutes with similar over-the-top sentiments, like that would have been like okay, yeah. Uh, but this was like okay, like it's the, the straw that broke there, the camel's back, you know. There is a moment, well, this, or in this case, the rally that broke the Hawthorne's bust. <laughs> <laughs> the rally that broke the Hawthorne's oh. bust. Wow. Now there's there's a moment um, right before they the girls do the performance in the beginning, and I say girls pointedly because. They, they introduce oh, me and they say, and women! now the, the girls from Mu Kappa, and then you hear the ADR, someone go, women. <laughs> That's pretty funny. I, That's funny. That's funny. I love that. <laughs> For as, you know, like, as, what do I want to say, as serious as the messaging is in the first half, there's a lot of good laughs, mm-hmm. too. And there is kind of a dark sense of humor going on there. I guess that that was my thing with the movie was I wasn't quite sure what was purposefully like trying to be tongue in cheek or funny. And then I wasn't, and I wasn't sure when I wasn't supposed to find yeah. that funny. And, Look, I, and again, we've said this billion times, this episode, hard line to walk. And personally, <laughs> I don't, I don't know if it really worked, but again, you've got a lot of things stacked against you going into a movie like this. So it's, it's just like anybody mm-hmm. would have had trouble making this movie and trying to do what they, what they were trying to do. Yeah. But anywho, listen, we're an hour and 15 into this. <laughs> we are, this let's, is going to be four hours. We're going to do it. Let's go into our next category, which albeit will probably be short, but uh, we've got to note it. It's music from and inspired by. Now it's time for the fun part. So... Correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think there's a lot of uh, actual, you know, bands or soundtrack out there for this, or or, or, or there might be a song attached. There's a big musical moment. <laughs> but there's a huge soundtrack <laughs> well, yes. that it's all, it, they use a lot of Christmas uh, tunes in here, which is cool. Yes. You don't see a lot of horror movies that actually, like, I don't know if it's the licensing or what, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. Um, the only ones I could really get some note, let's see, we got uh, Christmas to New Year's by the Larks, and the Larks were a 1920s vocal group that stuck around in 1955. Mm-hmm. Then we have Jingle Bells by uh, Bing and Gary Crosby. Does anybody have any comments on Bing Crosby? Mike, I'm going to take along. Along. Moving along. He comes <laughs> up a lot on this podcast. <laughs> Poor Harry Crosby. Allegedly, <laughs> allegedly, folks, allegedly. And, that, and it is a lot of other Christmas tunes that I could not find a lot of information on the bands and the right, but like, like, you know, it's hard, you know, I can't see them marketing the black Christmas soundtrack and just having it be like essentially a Christmas album. <laughs> you know, it's just all Christmas music, <laughs> but I, I do like the use of Christmas music in the movie, but, but the score was done by Brooke and Will Blair who were responsible for the scores for blue ruin and green room, uh, another Imogen Poots film. And, uh, mm-hmm. and they also went on to do uh, Tim and Eric's bedtime stories, which I get to see. <laughs> There's uh, a but, couple uh, Tim and Eric uh, connections throughout <laughs> yeah, this episode. Yeah. Somebody of note, I believe wrote up in the frat house. Oh, really? I, and I'm, I, I'm pouring, I'm trying to find out. Keep, we'll keep going. Oh, I, you know, there's keep, somebody of keep note. Keep looking at that. I'll keep, it keep was talking. written by Benjamin so Russell Hanby and Ricky Lindholm. 
Yes, Ricky. She is from the comedy. Hold on, Ricky yeah, Lindhorn, yeah. right? Oh, uh, uh, Garfunkel, Garfunkel Notes. Notes. There you go. Oh, okay. He's okay. One of the, part, part of that duo. Okay, oh, and one of the guys, uh, one of the producers, worked with worked with them. I think it would have been Ben Cosgrove because he produced uh, Insomnia, Scanner Darkly, and Tim and Eric's Billion Dollar Movie oh, as no, well. Oh, there, there you go. I was going to try me crazy. I was like, I know somebody of note wrote the satirical lyrics. It's pretty good. The, the song, that's uh that's a standout on this soundtrack. Well, and also I think uh I was curious about that. So they were supposed to perform something that was just kind of like sexy and Christmassy. Was that the whole point? And then they 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 were like it wasn't like a talent yeah. show, right? I, I, I kind of missed that because a lot of things were happening at the, at, when, when well, that started. It's like how every every other episode of Laverne and Shirley always turned into a talent show. Like I don't know, <laughs> I don't know why there's I, I don't I can't remember the last time that a talent show was the main crux. They of had my to week. look. They had twenty six episodes a season back then. You know, they had to pad it out. <laughs> but I guess in the movie, I was I was a little confused because I was like, well, why are they inviting the sorority? These girls from the sorority where this horrible thing happened to this woman like why did they think right. that they would go along with this or just do like a sexy christmas number there's a little bit of a stretch there and then absolutely so many people boo at when they're essentially just saying like don't assault women and i i mean if it was just fraternity bros in that room i'd be like okay but it seemed like a lot of other people were there too so it was like yeah. well that's something like, i think kind they? of works that's a little bit more in, in dick, indicative of a societal view and I don't yeah. think that that's too over the top. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, so oh, I don't think my... it was over the top. I just wouldn't, I wasn't sure. I was like, I'm talking in terms of the reactions. I, I think it's, you know, it's a learned behavior and yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, it goes on between men and then because of society, women can also react the same way. I, I didn't mind that. If they hadn't pulled their punches by making Landon's character, well, who's the other boyfriend? Uh, well, that's, a, we'll talk about uh, him later. That's all. Yeah, we'll they those hadn't guys. made them like, you know, kind of sort of good guys. Like I think that would have held up, held more water as far as you know, like the yes all men message okay, but I about do, this movie. I do have a question about the song though, because yeah, Riley was not initially supposed to sing it at all. She just yeah. filled in. So but she choreographed it. Was that just freestyling? So okay, so my, the lyrics freestyle. When I was in college, I lit my roommate after I moved off campus went to another college, and she was a member of their sorority. And I'd completely forgotten about this, but they did an annual thing every year called Singarama, where all mm. of the fraternities and all of the sororities would do a num a musical number or something. Yeah. And so that's probably what this is. And I think we okay. just see this one, and, yeah. and so, it's at the DKO house. Yeah, and it's at yeah, just they're the most powerful frat exactly, yeah. and they probably have the fanciest house because they're the most powerful frat. Anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, but so I imagine like they, this was just their planned thing. And we know that the other sorority was boycotting this. And so instead of doing like just a sexy Christmas number, they decided to turn it into an accusation of assault, which I have some thoughts about also, but it's, so I imagine some of the booze were probably coming from, you know, people thinking, why are you putting, why are you putting politics into my football kind of a mentality, right, you know, right, like right. this is Singerama. Yeah. Why are you doing this? And then also like, she's not just accusing in general, like she is accusing a specific person. So there are going to be people like his fraternity brothers or exactly. people who have already decided they don't believe her. Cause I mean, mm-hmm. it's like, this is a known thing on campus. Like everybody knows. So, so I think that's right. where the booze come from. Sadly, I do think that is in line with, um, reality yeah i bought it i i I just want to believe in people being better but unfortunately you're absolutely right (laughs) i i I absolutely see that 
I think just to your point, Justin, they mention briefly that Riley was responsible for all the choreography, and I think she actually probably wrote the song. She just didn't feel comfortable doing it, and wanted. Yeah, and they they choreography. I'm talking about with the lyrics. Was was somebody else just going to read the lyrics, and it was going to be? I think they were all going to. I think that they were doing that. They're going to trade lines back and forth. I think. Yeah. Who was it? Helena initially. Yeah. Was supposed to be the the girl doing it, right? Um, but we're going to get the final cut version of, of Black Christmas next year. It's going to be a little <laughs> yeah. more explicit. Like the, um, yeah. Bigger and then obviously... Number. The songwriting process and the pre-credits. Bring it back to the score. Did anybody think the score was pretty good, serviceable for the film? The, I, I thought it was fine. It wasn't like something I felt like didn't, <laughs> didn't deserve to be there. I thought yeah. it was pretty... It didn't have something... It sounds like every score from every horror movie of the past right. five, really six true. years. Ooh, right? uh, okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, it didn't have anything dumb or bad like the Dewey's theme in Scream Two and Broken Arrow. I mean, it was. Oh, you mean the oh, best part of Scream? You mean the best part of Scream? I know. The, the best part of Scream Two. Nothing, nothing invasive to my ears. Nothing egregious. Jen, were you? On I know. I'm trying to really. I'm really being a troll now. Were you on Scream Two episode, Jen? No, I was on three. I see. Yeah. I wasn't on. But two, we definitely talked about it in three. Two. I would have stood. I would have stu- stood up for the Dewey theme. I love it. it makes uh, me I'm getting goosebumps thinking about that that, oh, that, that, that that music right now. All right. Well, if anybody has anything else to say about the music, we can uh, roll it into the characters here because we're moving into our next category called Who Goes There? You never told me your name. Why do you want to know my name? I want to know who I'm looking at. What did you say? I want to know who I'm talking to. That's not what you said. What do you think I said? What? Now, why don't we start with the women of... I'm getting the sorority name wrong. Was it? I, I, maybe I, I just can't read the letters. Is it Pu Kappa Epsilon or Mu Kappa Epsilon? I think it's Mu Kappa Epsilon. Mu Kappa. I think it's yeah. Mu. Yeah. M K E. I know is the initials. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Then I don't know. I, maybe it's just because of Imogen Poots. I had the P in there. <laughs> and that's the first person we're going to talk about. Riley, the 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 main character of this. And Imogen Poots. We've seen. Uh, first time I saw her was 28 weeks later. And then mm-hmm. in Green Room, and uh, and then also Fright Night. Uh, the yeah, that's of the first Night. thing I saw her in. So that's two remakes. I don't want to talk about that. Two <gasps> remakes that uh, she has been in. Uh, <laughs> That'll be next year's Christmas episode. I'm really into her teeth. Yeah, I think she's she has, got the biggest smile. Oh, love it. She got what she like. She's got like I. This is something that this is just me. Uh, I like a fucked up grill. Like that's why teeth, you love the ending of Fright Night, the original, so much. <laughs> yeah, my teeth. My teeth are, there's a little crowding going on in the bottom. I wore braces. I didn't well, take it know, seriously. I didn't take rubber bands. So my teeth are a little bit, you know, a little more fucked up than they should be. Did yours go back so. the same way because you didn't wear your retainer? Because uh, mine did. Mine look a lot better, despite me not taking my braces seriously. They look a lot better than they would have had I not had them. But if I had taken them seriously and, like, worn my retainer and not been a little fucking asshole about it, <laughs> I'd have a much better smile and I'd show my teeth more in pictures now. I've said, always said to you, Mike, I've always said you should smile more. <laughs> yeah, I think you should show your teeth more in pictures. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, Imogene Poots love love her. She got like, well, she's British, so she got that British teeth thing. Going is she on. British or is she is she from I, New Zealand or Australia? Oh, maybe I'm wrong. I, so uh, it's very possible because this film was shot in New Zealand yeah, on a campus. I know we didn't talk about that, but I will say that this, despite all the the rush production, I think the movie looks really good, and I would never have thought oh, that it was shot yeah. outside of the U.S. To be honest with you, it looks good. Well, oh, very well directed. Yeah, mm-hmm. the snow looks real too. Yes, I agree. Oh, so yeah, well, and we'll get to that too. Uh, but the, the cinematographer is Mark Schwartzbart, who did like Love on Netflix and uh, mm-hmm. and also Master of None, which 
whatever you oh, might say about great. that show. I think the show looks great. Yeah, I, I really love it. And I, the comedy by Tim with Tim Heidecker. Another oh, yeah, Tim and yeah. Eric connection. I like I thought she's really good in this. I thought she's, you know, solid. I I think she's a really good actress. I have um, no problem with any of the performers in this movie. I, I think great performances all around elevate that elevate this movie. I would agree. I yeah. agree. Yeah. And there's things that I like the moment, albeit brief, and then obviously it plays well into the end when she gives the comb to the little sister. I just that was a little that was, that felt real to me in terms of like things that didn't feel real versus things that felt real. It was just like that little moment, the courage comb. <laughs> I think that hashtag um, courage comb. Okay, yeah, hashtag courage comb. Diva cups. That's what, I, that's what I wanted. To, that's what I wanted to call it. I wanted Jägermeister statues. <laughs> I wanted it to come up a lot more in the movie, but. Uh, the things that I had one question about this character and the decisions that they make. And is when they're, if you were just brutally attacked by three dark archers slash death eaters from, that's what they look like to me, <laughs> the, the death eaters from Harry Potter. If you were a br- just brutally attacked and just narrowly escaped with your life and were only like a semi match for those archers, are you and one person going to go back to the DKO house to try to infiltrate that fraternity house to get the magical bus, which is in your head. You don't know if that's really going to do anything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just, I, and at that point, I think you have to start kind of suspending your disbelief because obviously they're leaning into the supernatural element of everything. But I was just like, I don't know if you're, if I'm going uh, one person, if I think I can get into that fraternity house full of people for all, you know, you know, and, and get to get to that, what I would think would be normally guarded, but obviously she walks right up to the door at the beginning of the movie. And there's no one there to stop her from seeing this secret thing going on, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but I do really like the character. I think you have to have an actress that can deliver on, on the subtlety of dealing with something like that. And I think that she absolutely brings that to the table, Yeah, which which is good. And also I did like, and it's not really a place to, to mention this. We were going to mention it earlier, but there are little things that harken back to the original film. Right. And it's a moment when she gets the phone call and it's like, instead of it's, instead of the piggy noises and things, it's, it's all like distorted digitally garbled. And then it ends up being like one of the sisters, I think. Um, this was mothers. And I kind of like that. I, I kind of wish that was a thing instead of the texts. That it was like mm. this weird distorted digital garble well, thing. Well, that's something else we didn't really talk about is the inevitable comp that's going to be made is how, how great and creepy all those Billy calls are on the original. And then just getting a text with somebody who uses the, <laughs> the Hawthorne bust yeah. as the picture. <laughs> like, all right. Well, it doesn't, doesn't quite resonate the same way. It doesn't quite resonate the same The text name was Yip Yap, I think. Yeah, that was that was weird. And I was like, if it was like squeal or piggy noise or it was it was another like reference to the like okay but i I, that's one of those things where when you move into the digital age some things just aren't as scary as they used to be and and i think that they should have just had the digital garbled voice that they're hearing you know it's like Mm -hmm. not quite human but it's not quite digital but it sounds like someone's talking i think Mm -hmm. that would have worked a lot more if they had leaned into that but that might be a generation gap thing where we're not scared by the idea of text coming through some weird app, but maybe these 13 year old girls at the movies aim towards that resonates more with them. True. Whereas we True. The, the phone calls from the 74 one speak to us as people who actually used to have to answer the phone. Yeah. 
I did get a text from a stranger this morning asking if my kids wanted to do a play date. And I was like, which is a little weird. weird. I figured out who it is. It's somebody I know, but you know, yeah. (laughs) It's it's, it's my friend So you're the evil one for not retaining the phone number name. I know. I know. I I didn't want to say, hey, who is this? But. Yeah. Uh, so, and then I say so yes question mark <laughs> like um <laughs> yeah. so I had an I have another question about Riley's character or it's more so about the 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 main four women why do you think and and maybe this is just how the culture is but these these are the women that well I guess that she says multiple times that they still don't believe her necessarily wholeheartedly that what happened to her happened to her because when she starts saying, I'm getting these texts and I think that the college is going to do this prank. And I think that there's something going on. Her three closest friends are really quick to dismiss her. Yeah. in the kitchen sequence. And I, and I thought that was kind of strange because I was like, this is someone that's had something happen to them. And, and maybe they're just trying to like disarm the situation, calm her down and think, and like, don't go down this rabbit hole because like, probably nothing's happening but i thought it was weird that they just immediately just kind of make her feel not heard there when i i thought that was a little strange that moment but again i think you know like you said generally had they had more time to like really dive into the script maybe that wouldn't have happened well i think when i look at because this is a big thing that i've done a 180 on in this this movie and i want to get your thoughts about a lot of riley's plot line but like i think i have to look at her as fundamentally a person who had this major thing happen and nobody believed her or nobody Mm -hmm. believed her in a way that matters because i do think there is a difference between believing something technically happened and believing something matters and something hurts as much as you say it does you know and so i think sometimes like when her sorority sisters it's not necessarily that they don't believe it's that they don't believe how much it is affecting her Mm. and so i think that with That like, I wonder if there's an element of like, are you hypersensitive to this, you know, because of this experience, which would be something that a person who maybe has PTSD from an attack might have. But I think, yeah, I feel like I'm trailing off a little bit, but yeah, I feel like. No, it's okay. I I agree, Jen. I think, I think that, I don't think they're being cold about it. I think that they're, they might be thinking that because of what the traumatic event that happened to her might be informing a type of paranoia. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, months later, and they're kind of like, "Well, oh, maybe you know, I don't think it's that. I don't think it's that." And maybe they're maybe they think that they're being reasonable. Like, no, no, you, it's okay. You're, you're actually just overreacting to this. This is right. This, this can't this can't be happening. You know, yeah. Right, right. But that's so, also like that because you know. the next part of that statement is, "Don't be so hysterical." And I'm not saying that's what you were going to say. I'm going to say that's the logical leap, and that kind of just shows how pervasive this is, even to women. Like, I still find myself reacting in ways that I wish I didn't because I just have grown up inside the patriarchy, you know? And Mac, to your point about whether she would go to the sorority, to the fraternity house alone, I think that's where I, like, that's where I think she has had this major thing that nobody believed. Like she, I feel like she just is a character who feels like she's out of options and that she, there's nowhere else. Nobody is going to help her. And no, like, cause when you see her pass, um, I think Landon, she's like, she doesn't even believe he wants to help until it's Mm, like, I do like that moment. I did like that moment because It was like, that could have just been like, okay, now we're going to start banding together. And the fact that she just kind of like blank, Uh blank, blankly walks by him and he's just kind of, you know, I wouldn't have trusted him either if I was her. Exactly. To me, that is like, I I trusted too many people and it's burned me. And like, I do want to get your thoughts on the, the song just in general, like the choice to 
do that because when I first watched this movie, that was a big problem for me. I was like, I would never do that. That seems really uncomfortable. That seems almost like minimizing something like this big thing that has happened. And now I watched it now and I'm like, yeah, but she doesn't have anything else she can do about this. And so this like refusing to be silent about it and using this platform she has to keep this conversation going. I think I really appreciated the song's inclusion in the movie. I don't think it's perfect. Like, I still don't know if I could see myself actually doing that because how fucking scary that would be. But like, I, I really had a big shift on how I felt about that. And, and you I was mean, wondering, you mean yeah, I try to remove that. myself from the like, could I do it? And, and I tried to be like, okay, well, this, let's see, let me think about what this character's been through. And I think that she got to the point where she knew that nothing was going to ever happen. Right. In terms of justice, right? This is like three years mm, ago. Yeah. And we know she went to the authorities. Like she went through yeah, the, the, and yeah. Yeah. And I think that this is just a way of, of still kind of sticking it to him and making it as, as uncomfortable for him to him as, as possible, mm-hmm. knowing that true justice will never be served. So I kind of, I get her, her mode of thinking in that in that case, I get it. it would have been tough to. I can't imagine you know, oh, doing something similar, obviously. But I, I admire and, and to be fair, and I know it's like a movie trope. But right before she does do it, she's she is extremely nervous on the stage. Yeah, she yeah. she's thrown she's into it. Back there. She is thrown. But into then Chris it, yeah. says, and I rebuild quote, "Rebuild yourself, rebuild yourself, bitch." <laughs> and I feel like maybe that kind of gave her that push and that strength that she needed to sing the song. So you know, you look at it that way. I, yeah, yeah. And, Tough uh, beat, but I admire her for doing it. I mean, congratulations. I could never have done it. Yeah. No, I, I buy that she does it in that moment. And I like that there's that moment where she does kind of freeze and has to kind of recollect herself and then goes for it, you know? And speaking of uh, the person that tells her to do that, um, let's move to the next character, Chris, played by Elise Shannon, who Justin and I know lovingly from the new version of Leverage. I, uh, I say that with, with no uh, ironic tone. I know. <laughs> I, I love TNT's leverage, and so I now fun. love the spinoff <laughs> on IMDb TV, which can be found if you've got Amazon. You, that's Prime, not you real. You made that up. No, I it's swear it's a real thing. I, I couldn't believe it. I, I didn't figure out how to watch it. I was like, "How do you watch this thing?" Oh, it's like a streaming service with, with within a streaming service. <laughs> I, I yeah, I think that Elise Shannon is very fun on that show. I think she's a good actor, and I was. Uh, I'm always happy to see her on the screen. Yeah, I say? and and uh, I guess she was also in the um, 2018 the the one season of Charm, the new Charmed. I think uh, I'm not sure who she played, but oh. now, but here's the issue: there, this does there's a lot of like stereotyping in this character too, though, with a lot of the actions. It just seems very bullet point, and this isn't just her. This is with a lot of characters that we're going to talk about. You know, just correcting when one of the other sorority sisters says "girls," she says. You know, say woman instead. There's women. just a lot of that. Like it's, it's <laughs> I just, just like it just becomes. Yeah, yeah. It just becomes the character in its entirety, and it kind of just feels like it hasn't doesn't get really developed anything beyond you know ticking points. Yeah. And again, that's just this is the first example of a few that are going to be coming I up. I think so. that's just the text versus the subtext, yeah. though. Yeah. Yeah. Like, exactly. exactly. Every, everything in this movie is there to beat you over the head with it. But again, like, and I, it's not meant like we've all said it's not meant for us all late thirties, 41 year old man outside of Jen. Uh, uh, it's meant for 13 year old girls. And, and you know, okay. But I think it also comes down to, <laughs> but like, I agree. I do we agree. Really, like the trust your audience thing. Like yes. you don't have to, because yes. you keep beating it over the head. It becomes less of a character thing. And now you're like, you're seeing the screenplay. 
yeah. as opposed to like yes. seeing the, the acting, you know? Yes, completely agree. I, I do really like this character, I think, as a concept more than I like mm. as her. Because I think if I really boiled this movie down to what I take away from it, it is how to be an ally and how to support each other. And I think Chris is a really interesting like manifestation of that idea because I think she is, she says one of my favorite things in the whole movie, which is something I say all the time. She says, I'll stop when they stop because she's the one that's always getting shit for continuing to push and continue like never being quiet about anything. And I feel like that's kind of a role that I have just kind of fallen into, not fallen into. I've intentionally taken it, but like, I love that moment, but I also think she pushes too hard. And another, like there is like, she val she violates Riley's consent by posting that video online without without telling right. her that's a big deal and like i i think they tag on this little really clunky um accusation saying his full name at the end to make that like explicit to why that would be a big deal but the bigger <laughs> deal is that she just posted it without telling the person who's like she's accusing someone of sexual assault like right wearing a sexy santa dress you know and to those points yeah i, I do think that chris there are people like that out there, right? That the, mm -hmm. the, the message is more important and they're not really quite thinking how it's going to affect the person. And mm -hmm. they, and she does push a little too hard and, and it, you know, she tries to get her to do the dance and the song and yeah. I mean, she doesn't feel comfortable doing that, but she does it anyways. Yeah. I mean, it, the and rebuild yourself bitch would seem, it's it seemingly like be strong. Like, you know, and I think it's coming, I think she thinks it's coming from the right place, but it's also like, Maybe she's just not ready to do that. Like maybe you are pushing her yeah. too far, you know, in mm. this in this and moment. And something that she I does like, shame her. Is it later on? I think about like how she didn't want to do it, and, I, and yeah, she's like, "You always little... want to disappear." Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It's yeah. like, well, listen, it's a you know, it's a personal situation. Well, and then to, to that, I'm, so I'm also watching Sex Education, which is a little more of a slightly heightened reality on Netflix, right? But there's a character they introduced in the third season that um, is non-binary and there's a moment where one of the students that's kind of like leading the discussions on campus and trying to gather a group to talk about all these issues goes to that person and is like, you should come and like talk about like these issues and talk about like being non-binary and stuff. And they're just like, nah, like that's, you know, like just because someone is dealing with that doesn't mean they have to be the poster child for that yes. and be the one that says everything. And I think that that, that, that kind of does come across in this point. And I think that Chris feels like because this happened to Riley, Riley has a responsibility, but it, that's not necessarily true. Like, you know, if, if Riley makes that decision to talk about those things and do that, that is her decision to make. But it, just because it happened to her doesn't mean she has to now be the one that speaks out and is the one that's like the, the face of the, of the cause, you know what I mean? Yeah, mm -hmm. totally. And I think it's important to have, like, I think there's a lot of value in what Chris does. Like, she does push people outside of their comfort zone. And in, and a lot of times that's good. But I think in this time, in this situation, it's maybe not so. And this is something that I wanted to write about when I was writing about this movie. And I, I backed off because I just didn't have enough word limit. But I think it is a factor that Chris is black. And because when you are black, you can't hide, you know, you can't go through your life, not dealing with certain things the way white women can. And so I feel like she is just used to 
pushing these things because she has grown up not having as much of a choice to hide as mm. someone like Riley does, you know? And she's like, we, we fight because, you know, it's, it's not going to be as scary as you think it is. You're going to feel better, you know? And I think there is value in her continuing to push. I also think she's in college and I think about like, <laughs> yeah, right. A lot of the stupid, like, I just didn't know as much as I thought I knew. Everything seems really black and white, not to, you know, no pun intended there, but like everything seems really cut and dry when you're that age. And it's True. hard to really, understand a lot of the nuances you know well that was the thing about nuance jen is i I couldn't tell if if the character's behavior was supposed to be oh god she's really it's really over the top or ah yes let's listen to what she's had she has to say like i couldn't get the tone of the character a lot of the time and i'm not sure if it ever fully clicks into place like i'm not sure the script ever gets it and that's the thing i think that's more script because obviously you know we've seen this woman and other things and i really like her as an actress so i don't i think it is again boils down to the script and uh, what you know, what you have to work with. Anything else to say about Chris? I'm sure we'll keep talking about these characters. As no, we I think uh, but... Jeff. Uh, I, I just got word that Leverage Redemption has been renewed for season two. Oh so, yes, uh, I'm looking forward to some more Lee Shannon on Leverage Redemption. Nice. IMDb TV found in the Amazon. <laughs> The annals of Amazon. I mean, and we are not joking. I Thank really you, do Bezos. like Leverage. I really do. Is like Noah Wiley on I that do. show? He's on the set. He's he on, on the new reboot version. Yeah, My yeah. ER dream crush. Yay. He is on it. Uh, okay, so let's move on to looks great. Lily Donahue as Marty. And as we go, I, I feel like Marty and Jess don't get a lot to do in this. They're not as fleshed out, unfortunately, but. They are characters in this movie, so let's talk about them a little bit. She is the stone cold fox in a movie, oh. I would say. Oh, Marty, Marty. Oh yeah, Marty is also from Dirty John and Halt and Catch Fire. I can't, I can't place her in that, but there she's in three or four episodes of that. She looks very familiar. Like I think like she looks like the main girl from Mean Girls, but it's not her because mm-hmm. she's mm-hmm. too young. Like, well, um, you mean not Lacey Lindsay Lohan, the Lacey Chabert from yeah. uh, Party, Party Five. Five? No, 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 no. You mean um, Rachel McAdams? Rachel McAdams. The Notebook. Yeah, yeah. Rachel McAdams. She kind of looks like uh, Rachel McAdams. Yeah, She's got kind of bit, a yeah. CW-ish kind of look to her. You know? <laughs> no and I say, that, she, I say that is a great no. compliment. Network CW looks amazing. <laughs> network TV kind of hot. That's yeah, true. like I Sophia Bush kind of. I haven't seen Dirty John. I think that's the. F- I'm not sure if it's the second season or the first season she's in because I think the, I think it's a kind of a little bit of an anthology esque thing. But she's not I, in the second season. That's got Christian Slater. Okay, so, so the first season's the one with uh, well, Connie Britton and and yeah. uh, Eric Bana, right? Yeah. Okay, so I think mm-hmm. she's in that. But anyways, uh, yeah, I did, I feel like she she didn't have she's just not really given a lot to do except that she's got the boyfriend that you there know. We go. And, and and I will they say they have a good uh, interaction first, with each other though. Her and the boyfriend in the, known, in the kitchen, I thought. Yeah, I've known that. Um, I've I've seen well, we'll that relationship. That. <laughs> well, that's what I'm saying. I've seen that relationship before where it's like the guy that's always hanging out with the girlfriend, like all the time, you know. <laughs> but things that I had issues with, I with the, not necessarily her, but like the, the way that they portray the boy, like the boyfriend. Let's just talk about him now, too, because they're, they're connected, right? Yeah, yeah. 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 So that's right. and that is Nate, Nate uh, Simon Mead. Um, who let me just say real quick that the is that the rock hard hunk of the movie jen oh carrie always is the rock hard hunk of the movie oh yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, he's always i agree with jen yeah i'm on i'm on he must be taking yeah. that black goo for years he hasn't aged i'm glad we no. got that got <laughs> totally. that figured out early in the episode okay so here's my issue with nate is once again i mean we get 
what that kitchen scene is stereotype after stereotype after stereotype <laughs> is just i mean come on pick pick a lane like so first he says calm down not all men i mean it's like okay i don't believe that this character exists okay so, so wait, exists so, as twitter i think so so wait a second yeah, no, this I'm, is that's exactly right. this is like this is the worst of twitter time out time like, out like oh look at this this is the worst of twitter and then you know if someone hurts my girl it's my duty to protect her it's but, like he's but, just but saying but wait like, now wait this. now wait, hold on hold on i had I, I felt the same way justin but i i don't think it i don't think it works 100% but he is getting headaches and his true alpha is coming yeah. out. And that is why when he says, when he, when he comes into the house and he's not really listening to her and he's just like, show yourself coward. This is a man's job. I think it's because he's now becoming. It's the true the, alpha. The true alpha version. Alpha has transcended. Wait, did the, uh, <laughs> yeah. Oh no. Cause, cause no they more show him getting headaches. They show him getting headaches shortly before that, like in the, yes. And then they say that later on with Landon when he's getting the headache. He's like, oh, you're getting a headache, bro? Like, that's your true alpha. That's the founder bringing out your true alpha. Okay, you know what? I will stand corrected. Yes. That is, if I miss that. It, it, yes, it no, is. That's, it, it, that's what's yeah. going on, Justin. I, he said, no, I just had a big headache. Second viewing. Yeah. yeah. Totally, totally forgivable. Yeah. And it makes perfect sense. If, if he is that the essence of alpha. Said, he is okay. the essence of alpha. But I will still say the whole the alpha thing is also pretty stupid too. Like <laughs> yeah. the whistling and then like now you're true alpha. I mean, that was also well, stupid. And I, <laughs> I, I think it's dumb. I, it's just, that's supernatural stuff. It's just like, Oh my God. Well, anyway, but keep going. Keep no. Going. Yeah. So that's what I was saying with that, that character. Makes it makes sense. I, Cause I thought the same thing. I was like, wait, th- what is this 180 coming from? And now we're, now we're turning this guy into this. Like I just kind of, but then obviously once they started going, I was like, no, okay. That it is, even if he thought some of those things or whatever, like and now it's coming out like wholeheartedly because of the, the, the black goop or whatever, but my the apologies, Jager, the which will do that to people. Yeah. That's, Oh yeah. The Jager yeah. bombs have maybe it was, my uh, my Lord. many times. <laughs> yeah. It was Malort. Yeah. It was Malort. The black, hey, 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 the black hey, goop. Hey, hey. You defend your boy, John Malort, whoever the hell uh, that guy's name Carl is. Carl Jepson. Get it right, son. <laughs> Now, Wait, is he? Oh, of course, Mr. Jepson, my lord. This is important to note. I felt um, Simon Mead, who played Nate. Not, this isn't. This isn't a credit everybody has. He played Bert on an episode of Power Rangers Dino Charge. Oh, and, uh, just yeah. got to throw it out there. Power Rangers shows. And you there put is. that you know, top of your resume. <laughs> it's got to be fun to be on the Power Rangers set, right? That's yeah. just such a silly set. Now uh, he Very was also on the club, show you know? The Cul de Sac, which another person was um, on as well. When we get to. Uh, talking about them, but let's move on. Does anybody have anything to say about Marty? I really just feel like, weirdly, Nate has more to do than Marty. I feel like her oh, yeah, I've got also stuff edited, to say right? about Nate, but... Okay, yeah. the thing that that really bothered, bothered me about Marty is I really wanted to be behind her whole ants thing, but oh, that yeah. is the epitome of a clunky analogy, just like... Mm smashing a bunch of ants on the kitchen floor, I guess, mm. you know, I, I, yeah. because I believe what she is saying, but it like comes out of nowhere. It's a huge stretch, but yeah. So that's when she, sta- when she starts motherfucking Nate, it's pretty funny. She gives a, she, uh, it's a good performance here. Like I said, I think actually that whole segment in the kitchen is just, I think chock full of pretty good performance. It's all around. I agree. From Imag- I, I, I'm such a by saying, I was like, God, you know, they're really hammering the point home or the audience. They think that they're insulting the intelligence of the audience. And they're like, am I the only motherfucker that did not understand that, that 
He was getting a headache. Well, I and don't think the alcohol was coming out. Am I the only person? No. You're expected to just kind yeah. of retroactively go, oh, that's what okay. was happening I to him. I didn't put it together till the yeah. second viewing when I kind of added yeah. it all up. Because you've heard them say that to Landon. Right. Yeah. Right. And like, yes. This is kind of like 2001. Like this, you have to see this movie multiple times to fully grasp what's happening. <laughs> Get the fuck so out of here. Let's uh, let's move Jen, on. I, Jen, you're holding your, you're holding back the laughter. <laughs> let's move on to Jess. I will vocally laugh so that people, that our listeners are aware. Let, let's move on to to Brittany O'Grady as Jess, who I. I, hey, White Lotus, right? Yeah, and, totally different um, character. Totally different. Totally different character in White Lotus. Um, uh, also, very in, fun and bubbly in this. Uh, if, yeah. if I yeah. were to give it an adjective, right? Also yeah, in, she in the show Star for a few years, and I think she's actually a singer. I think that she's credited songs on that, so I think she's also got the pipes. Yeah, she's just kind of like works as like the quiet, like aloof <laughs> sister in the house, you know, and and obviously. Because she gets off pretty early. Again, not a ton development here for this I, I character. I do like that scene. But that is mm-hmm. a good scare. That's uh, a well-staged yeah. scene. You know, sad, obviously sad to see her go early, especially on the poster. I do like on the poster, though, I think she has the Christmas lights wrapped around her. And they're, when they're all looking like, you know, we're going to fight. So it's kind of like a another intentional mislead. Pretty clever using a Christmas movie, having somebody get strangled with Christmas lights. That was. I know. What did you say? Did we determine that the origin was uh, Silent Night, Deadly Night? Yes, I think that's the first one. I, I... <laughs> no, that scene. Those, can we talk about that though? Because I like the fact that I think it's all one shot. She takes the first set of lights and goes over, plugs it in. Nothing. Is it two or three lights three. later? And then, three. and then the guys. Was there the entire, entire time? time? Yeah, that's the kind that's of stuff good, I like. That's see. a good reveal. A good scare. And that felt very original black christmas to me yeah mm. and i so i was like i was like oh i wish that's why i was just kind of sitting there when it was like when they did that stuff in the first hour i was like this works uh, you know like i don't know if that yeah. movie needs to be remade but you know you're you're doing a decent job for 2019 remake yeah you know again uh, good but not you know just not featured enough to really dive into the character if i hadn't Did, seen have her on white say? lotus yeah. i wouldn't have had anything to say about her, but yeah, I did just, love her in White Lotus. Yeah, yeah. And so Let's now, just talk about White Lotus. Exactly. Know, yeah, right? yeah. yeah. She's great on White Lotus. Yeah. She really is. She yeah. is. She is. And she's good in this. It's just the part has nothing. Yeah. The part is yeah. not a lot it's of It's the Marty. There. It's like, you know, they're, they're the kind yeah. of. But except she doesn't have any. Off, right? She doesn't have anything. Like Marty at least has Nate to latch her yeah. into the plot, but she doesn't have anything. She's just kind of the comic relief every once in a while. Right. But, but she like does I, that very well. Her, I feel like her death was the aftermath of her death. It seemed like that was also cut out, and also it seems like they cut out Marty's uh, axe to the stomach too. I feel like a lot of stuff was cut. Yeah, yeah like I the, agree. The I think that would have been more. Look, I'm not a bloodhound. Like I do appreciate the fact that people put in a lot of effort to make a, a gory movie, but sometimes it's evident that something's been cut, and that's one of those. Because well, they show her, they're turning her around, and she wasn't strangled by the Christmas lights. There's actually a piece of shard of glass or something in her eye, but they don't. You don't see it quickly enough. Because I think that was the R-rated footage that they had to drop. I think you don't it was see too it at all graphic in the yeah. movie. You don't see your eye at all. Yeah. So I wasn't going to intentionally do this, but well, let's just stay with the women in the house. So let's move to Fran. I kind of like Fran's little like ins and outs with the. This is my MVP of the movie. With the cup, she's just really entertaining, and I really enjoyed that character. And I was sad to see her go. <laughs> I loved her bits with the diva cup. Yeah. I liked the. I got a couple lines. Merry Christmas from this Jew to you. 
And then the my sister biological is picking me up. It's funny stuff. I think it's funny stuff. She's really good. I wish that we. I wish that she was in more of the movie. To be honest with you, I feel like that was more of a character than um, Marty and and Jesse. Honestly, you had the the Exorcist three. Oh yeah, grab, no question. Where she it. walks into the room, walks out, and immediately the guy comes out and grabs her. I thought that was that was a fun nod to that film, even though it has nothing to do with Black Christmas. <laughs> but um, I actually I thought that worked because I was like, oh, are they going to do that? Oh, fun. That's fun because you just don't see that a whole lot. I think she is the owner of Claudette, who the sequel will be focused on. Yeah, and is Claudette isn't that a name of a character in the original Black Christmas? Oh, Am I wrong? I've got right? it here. I'll pull it up and I'll look. I think that. The reveal of Fran is extremely original Black Christmas. I was just focusing on Riley walking down the street and just that slow pan back and you see her dead body outside just frozen. Which is so haunting. That's one of my, the most haunting thoughts or themes in the original Black Christmas. And I love that here. Yeah. I wish they, but they don't go back to it. I wish they had kind of somehow kept going back to that. But I guess it's at that point so hard. Justin, no Claudette. No Claudette. No Claudette. Claudette in the original. Claudette. So I think it is a new character created for the 2019. Uh, no, the no Claudette's in the original. I don't not seeing it in the, as Claudette's a the cat. Oh. oh, is the cat in the original also Claudette? Yeah, I just watched it this week. Absolutely. Okay, okay well there you go. I Which is why I put familiar. it together. The grand <laughs> yes. cat. You know no. what? I'm I'm watching. Uh, I'm, I'm looking at IMDb and the cat is not credited. So that's ah, why I thought. So that's why well, writing an egregious the, the, wrong. It was not a member of the um, the SCAG in the seventies. The screen act, the, uh, the, the screen sag, actors cat sag, guild, yeah. screen animal thinking, guild. Yeah, I was gonna say, where are you going with that? <laughs> yeah. Anyways, yeah, I, I like and uh, and we we I don't know if we mentioned her names. Natalie Morris is the actress. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wish she was in more, but honestly, I, maybe that's why she worked so well because she did a lot with the character that she didn't have a lot to have. Oh, and also we mentioned that she's Jewish. There's an interview with Sophia Takal saying everybody keeps asking me like what my what's your favorite christmas movie what's your favorite christmas this she's jewish and <laughs> she like <laughs> so she said in the interview she's like you know everybody keeps asking me what my favorite thing is but i think one of the interviewers that's interviewing her is jewish as well and kind of makes that that comment uh, and the, so i kind of thought that was funny yeah i mean obviously they don't lean into that there's nothing being said about that or whatever i just thought uh that's interesting that all these interviews are going in there and asking her what's your favorite christmas song or this or christmas <laughs> whatever and she's like i don't know <laughs> i um, i prefer i prefer to celebrate christmas in the most secular uh manner <laughs> yeah, possible yeah. all yep. about coca-cola santa claus and mm-hmm. oh yeah that's that that's that's what i like about the season okay let's move on to the last woman of the house helena who is an, is an interesting character because I, I kind of have some questions. So really quickly, she she was a, a regular on Mystic, Alibi, and The Gulf. If you've seen those shows, I have of not. Of course. I have not seen those shows. But also, <laughs> no more clue. importantly, she played Megan in Power Rangers Beast Morphers. Oh. Uh, and, and I, this started, I couldn't this, remember how many people were in Power Rangers now that you mentioned both of them. This is the days of know, our lives. Sadly, it's Black the Christmas new, like, 21 Jump Street, yeah. Yeah, sad, <laughs> sadly, that is that is the end of the Power Ranger connection. I was really uh, hoping for some more Power Rangers connections just I mean, to add some. This is now. where I, know, I think, no, because that's here, not true. Mate. The, guy, the, guy, the actor Ben Black, who plays Phil, was in Power Rangers Aqua... Aqua Fire. Oh, that, yes, uh, uh, that was in Power Rangers Cat. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> what if it was just called, like all these elaborate titles, and that was called Power Rangers Cat? Yeah. <laughs> you know, it is, it. Initials, initials. Yeah. It is worth noting that most of this cast is relative newcomers. 
which yes. is kind of cool. Oh, yeah, hundred yeah. percent. And this is where the Halloweenies walk the line of talking about important issues, but also having fun. And <laughs> we're doing it maybe not as successfully. They've always as said we're, we're the Black day, Christmas 2019 of podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, so Helena, Slay yeah. question. Do we like Helena's turn? Is she influenced also by the black goop? I or like is she just turn. becoming I, I, subservient? I don't, I, she, like, I don't mind the turn, but I, I'm a little confused by the turn. because Why is she kidnapped? I, yeah, yeah, go well, ahead. No, Justin. no, hold on. I, I would get that, like they kidnap her and then give her the choice. I would get that. Okay, but okay. But the, they also say, though, that she's been stealing leading up to that moment. She was already complicit, so I'm not sure why they all of a sudden have that weird I agree. pseudo-kidnapping yeah. moment at the end. That's a little confusing to me. I think the heel turn, I like it, but it also kind of maybe pulls back on those punches, too. Mm. Like a little bit, like making one of the girls be complicit, be it because she was kidnapped or, uh, you know, under the influence of the Jägermeister or whatever. Uh but again, it goes back to how I wish that they would have had, uh, well, the character we'll talk about later, Landon, make the heel turn as well. Yeah. Yeah, I love love Helena, um, and I love her turn, and I don't see her as under the influence of the goo. Okay, um, okay. That was no, my yeah. question. I didn't know. I think that's yeah. for the boys. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. Because she's under the influence of the patriarchy. And, like, living— That's like, right, and that's—yeah. Yeah, because, yeah, like, I am in Nashville, and I know so many women like that. You know, yeah. like, you, you want your place on the ladder, so you're willing to just accept that you're never going to get to the top of the ladder. And that's a thing, like, I, I don't want to drag out my soapbox, but— like the patriarchy is not like men versus women. That's not what feminism is. It's a system of oppression that pushes women down and women are complicit in this a lot of times because there's a safety. Like she, she believes she has a safety in this system because she is playing along and she's just given away a certain amount of her power. And I love, it, it feels really forced, but I love the fact that they just toss her aside because that is ultimately the lesson is this, you are, a part of the system based on your usefulness, not your humanity. Right. And I so did. when you're not useful anymore, and you're done. Gelson, mm-hmm. yeah. Gelson literally says, and she, and he mentions Helena that uh, those willing to be obedient will be spared. Right. Yep. That speaks into it. Generally. For that speaks into a it. while, you know, and that's, I think that was until my, they're tossed aside. Yeah. That was my only confusion was what Justin said earlier was that she had been complicit the whole time, stealing these things from the comb from the very beginning. But then yeah. she's kidnapped from the house. So I was, that's why I got confused. I was like, why did she get grabbed? They show. Yeah. I don't think she's actually kidnapped. I think she's just hanging there, but but don't they show it? Yeah. But she's looking around the house and then all of a sudden the guy appears in her bedroom as the door grabs her. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or, or does the door just close? You don't see her being grabbed. Okay, that's interesting. That. Okay, he I snuck didn't... into her bedroom or something. I don't know. Who no, knows? You're right. <laughs> I, that's that's uh, I think the plot. Not quite. Oh. I, I'll have yeah, to look at yeah. that scene again. But anywho, when you go back next year and watch uh, for your annual rewatch of Black Christmas, yeah. <laughs> well, well that's, I'll have to. I'll, it's this I'll, and it's a wonderful life. I'll watch this. Um, the remake. How about, we, and, yeah. Did we talk about her last name? How creepy her last name is, though. What's her last name? Oh, what is Rittenhouse. it? Rittenhouse. Oh yeah, I, I noticed. We that. can move on. Yeah, kind of right. yeah. Okay, yeah, let's move on. Yeah, good right? point, good okay. point, Justin. Good point. Uh, Thank you very much. Now, okay. now, we don't have too many more characters to talk about, but let's get to them. It's the men of the film. 
There is. Let's talk about Lando. No, let's not even talk about him. Fuck him. Let's talk about. Yeah, right. There really but, is not a lot to say, to uh, be honest with you. It, it's kind of. Uh, wait, let's go ahead. A cast for milk. Truly a cast for milk toast kind of cast of men yes. in this movie. So aside from Carrie Elway. Aside from Carrie. Aside Carrie from the beautiful Carrie Elway. Who is beyond man? He transcends man. He really so, does. He fell down a hill and transcended uh, into the acting scene. transcends. So Landon was played by Caleb Caleb Eberhardt who was featured in Judas and the Black Messiah, but I remember him as the problematic mm. Donald on HBO's Betty, which I personally think y'all should check out. It's about women skating in New York, and it, it's, 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 it, it, it has that kind of wire feel where it's like some people are actors and some people are just like actually skaters and they're not really actors, so it's kind of that weird live-in feel. But um, he plays a character that is essentially kind of like a nerdy guy that's like got this podcast with this other woman, but... And there, there is like an assault situation and mm. they really cover that interestingly in that. And I, so it was kind of to, to Vanderbilt's point, like those are the guys that you kind of, those, the sneaky ones yet yeah, no, yeah, that are like sentient, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's, the, it's the nice guy, man. That's the one you got to, the, yeah. the, the, the out like the people like who are out and out about being in the kink world or whatever, or poly or whatever their thing is like, they understand like rules and consent and this, that, and everything like, that's not who you have to worry about. It's that guy who, who's like you said, real nerdy, real quiet. I, I, I mean, you got to watch out for all men as I've established. I firmly <laughs> yeah. believe that, but, but uh, the nerdy you know, guys are company no exception over here. <laughs> I think we've talked about Landon Mac, a lot. No, I have a question that was, him, but, yeah. you said that Caleb Eberhardt's character has a podcast on Betty. Is his character name podcast? <laughs> it is not called podcast. <laughs> I honestly, I'm not even sure if it's a podcast. It might be like a web series or show. I can't. Is it a web series? I can't remember. But I believe uh, it's problematic protagonist. Is his? Um, oh boy, yeah. Landon in this is definitely. Oh, it's one of the good guys, and then he's the symbol. He's a symbolism for. Hey, it's one of the good guys. Oh, I just think be, it would it would have been a much better like to have him like just be in, in complicit with all this from the beginning. I think it would have just been it would have elevated the movie for mm-hmm. me. Jen, yeah. Jen, do you think uh, Landon is a good? boy <laughs> he's, yeah he's fine and i hadn't thought about that mike i think i agree with you because i think there's and it's something that i do want to ask y'all about that's related to nate um more so because i feel like i just talk about this all the time and i kind of want to hear what guys think yeah he is kind of the epitome of first of all the movie has a slight issue with being very binary and very heteronormative so just to get that out of the way but there is this understanding i think that the movie has that all men will eventually fall in line which is mm. not some which i think is something that feminists get like nailed for a lot like i don't hate all men i but i wanted to get your thoughts about like cuz you keep saying yes all men and i'd just like to hear more about that i just it's it's something i mean i don't i know that in my life i have made uh people uncomfortable but even if i didn't mean doing that mm-hmm. you know and like you said uh you know patriarchy is this system of oppression and i worked in sales in my early 20s when i sold mattresses and like when people talk about the idea the concept of toxic masculinity like not only was it like accepted it was encouraged like that's how all the men on the floor acted and you got away with it because you were men because you were the the salespeople anything went and you know when people talk about the patriarchy i always say about the patriarchy you know the patriarchy didn't do shit for me either really i i do like white privilege that is a real thing i understand what it means i think a lot of people who 
get upset about movies like Black Christmas don't necessarily understand that they're not it's not about you. Big surprise. Not everything's about you. It's about this overarching system and that you're not part of that, (laughs) whether you think you are or not, like you don't need to defend these Mm -hmm. guys. But also, like I said, at the, the top of the show is that this idea, like, yes, all men, but it's like, it's white men, it's straight men, it's gay men, it's men of color. It it's, it's, it's everybody. So this idea that it's just these waspy guys, like, you know, the Duke mm. foot, the Duke mm-hmm. uh, lacrosse yeah. team or whatever yeah. is, I think it, it, it uh, what do I say? It, it narrows it. It a like bit. dilutes the message. Well, it dilutes the message a little bit. Yeah. It would have been interesting if there was, because I know there, there were fraternity houses on our campus at FSU that were, there was, I know that there was a film, there was like a film fraternity and it was a bunch of like nerdy guys essentially. And I think that would have been interesting to see that fraternity complicit as well. You know what I mean? Like, and, and I yeah. think obviously well, it kind of goes back thing, to the whole, but... the stereotype that, that a lot of this movies kind of falls into. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of like the easy way out. Of, yeah. Oh, well look at these, you know, because you're using, guys, using caricatures you know? or archetypes rather than characters. Right. The, yes. the DKO yeah, exactly. yes. all like hunky bros. Hunky average looking white, oh, not average, but like network TV hot white guys. Yeah. And everybody that, sorry, I got so excited to bonk to my mic. Everybody that is not a DKO falls into this good man until they are overtaken by their inner alpha goo, you know? Yeah. Which is not reality because, (laughs) because yeah, yeah, there are the frat guys that are like loud and like, yeah, you're going to make my sandwich or whatever. And then there are the people like Landon who could easily have been an incel type character in this movie. Absolutely. True. So, and for me, I've never done anything wrong in my life, so I'm not sure. <laughs> hey, hey, you're asking hey. me. I, uh, yeah. No, I, I, I it, it's an issue. It's been a systemic issue for years, and now it's, it's, it's starting to come out more. Obviously, as the years have gone on, and I think it will continue to come out. Well, I, 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 and I think as men, like you have to say to yourself, like, and I think this is maybe more of a Zoomer mentality that you see online is that everybody needs to be perfect from the day they were born yep. through their adults, mm-hmm. and like. As opposed to who you are now. Yeah, but there is room for growth and change, and Mm -hmm. it's up to people to admit, like, yeah, I fucked up a couple times in my 20. I did some shit that I'm not proud, nothing real bad, but I know I've made people uncomfortable. I've done this, I've done that. And if you can accept that and say, well, I don't want to be that person anymore. I want to change. I don't think that's right, despite the way we were raised, like most of us men. And like I said, working in that, that sales uh, job where it was kind of encouraged to speak this way about women. So you kind of do it to fit in because you're in your twenties, you're still figuring things out as a man, mm-hmm. just like everybody else. Right. And yeah. whether you, and it's whether you want to accept to change and grow and to listen to other people, or if you don't want to, and I think more people should. Just oh, totally. Accept. Yeah. I mean, I have found myself at the very beginning of these conversations when you read something that is like vitriolic and very much throwing all men in the same basket fighting against like the, well, not everyone's like that, you know, like that, because you always, when you read something, you're always thinking, how does this apply to me? Yep. And, but, but that's, Mm -hmm. but those things are not necessarily being, you know, that, that is not being told to me. Like, I didn't feel like I was, you know, contributing to that. And, and yes, Mike's right. You know, as we grew up, you know, we all do stupid shit. We all learn, we all do things that we're not proud of it's how you react to it and it's how you move forward and decide, okay, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to be that. I've learned my lesson or I've educated myself or I've listened to the discussions and I realized that maybe, maybe I was on that path or I was doing those things and I've got to like, you know, 
step away from that kind of behavior. And I've found a lot of times personally not, you know, speaking up or take or posting this or, or saying things and trying to be an ally in that sense is, is, you know, has in a, in a sense kind of, um, I think like this conversation, what we're doing right now is really good. And this is the kind of way that I want to contribute is having a discussion, Mm -hmm. but like, I don't want to go on Instagram on my public profile and be like stating these, these grand claims as an ally because it feels very performative (laughs) and it also feels like I'm taking away from the message that I I don't need to be heard right now. So it's like, like what needs to be heard are like the women and the people that have something to say. So I feel like by, by contributing in that way, that feels more performative, like, look at me, look at me, which I think a lot of people do. Absolutely. And those are the guys who usually um, get themselves in trouble too. <laughs> right. True. And so that's the guys I look out for. So I know. think that sometimes it's like, all I can do is like, you know, if anything, I don't know, repost things that I agree with, but not necessarily yeah. like, I don't need to put my two cents there because I, it's not what needs to be heard right now. What needs to be heard is like coming from the people not, that about need to you, be saying right? it. It's yeah. about amplifying to, others, to an not extent. Your, I'm not, not saying your, like not yourself. I would love to okay. to find more ways to be an, an ally and 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 be able to say the, say these things or what needs to be said, you know, on social media and whatnot. But what were you going to say? Yeah. Jen? Sorry. Well, there because there's no perfect way to be an ally, and like right, right. what you're saying, I like when I started doing my day job, um, I am researching a lot of like racist histories of songs, and so this was something that I had to deal with a lot. Um, and white feminism has kind of an ugly history, so it is. It's not the fact that I said and did things that were upsetting in the past. It's the fact that I either decide to change or I decide not to, or I decide to accept that what I have done was offensive. And it's like I try. I try to speak out for people and I did watch I went to some training and they talked about we don't want allies we want co-conspirators because allies stand next to you and co-conspirators carry the charge with you but it's hard it's tricky because I do agree with what you're saying like I don't necessarily think it is up to all men to talk about toxic masculinity, but I think there are certain men that are not going to listen to a woman talk about that. So it does go a long way when a man says it, which is partly why I'm really glad that you three are talking to me about this. And I like, I like, I'm loving this conversation. And I just wanted to say to the men who are listening, like if a woman asks you to talk about this, like I'm never entering into a conversation that I think with people that are actually going to listen to me wanting to accuse them specifically of doing anything like I'm not going to come in as an angry feminist and say you did this and you get should I'm not expecting an apology mm-hmm. I want to talk through things and I want because we're past the point of like everybody is either Harvey Weinstein or like Patrick Swayze you know we're now into the nuance of this and we are in the how did I make somebody uncomfortable and didn't understand what were my intentions and what were my impacts? And that is really hard to tease out. And it takes a lot of conversation. So every conversation we have where people are willing on all sides to go in and say, maybe I got this a little bit wrong, or maybe I understood something in a different way than you intended. That's what moves us forward. Yeah, I agree. And I, I think just a lot of the wrong voices get amplified because nuance doesn't get retweeted. Right, yeah. exactly. But yeah. the blanket statements don't usually don't help. Like there are like Black Lives Matter is a blanket statement that is very effective. Me too is a blanket. That people statement. don't understand what, what that means. Right. Uh, which yeah. which is part of the problem. And, and instead mm-hmm. of choosing to research and understand 
the meaning of these blanket statements, they take it at face value and they say this shit like all lives matter and stuff like that. Uh It's like, it's like, no, you're missing the fucking point. Right. Uh, It's so furious. It's frustrating. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, no, I I agree. And that, but that's why I'm saying like, I think like this is a way that we can positively contribute to this discussion and actually kind of Uh, on our silly little horror movie podcast. Right. Yeah. But I mean, think about how many people listen to this stuff, you know, and and, like, you know, Blum's not incorrect by saying the seventies and eighties are very exploitive. Like they are like, come on, like, let's just be honest. Like they are. Well, because they they were in a world that was exploited. Exactly. It's not their, it's not their fault. Like that's just what the culture was back then. So, well, I think also it makes total sense for us to discuss all this for a movie that is, Oh yeah, literally Absolutely. about all of this. It's like we're doing it for Gremlins to the new batch or something. And we're all like, hey, let's talk about. Well, but I think you know, too, yes, all men, like, you know? this is a podcast with men who have totally. made the conscious effort to have a female guest on every episode. I think that says something. I said, think it says something that you would choose to do this movie in general. You know. Well, Jen, I've always said that we're true allies. No, don't I appreciate you. I would never. I would never. Uh, we're coming for you now, uh, Justin. Okay. Okay, two two things, two things. Jen, I love your giant mug. <laughs> Keep getting oh, up yeah. in this kid. It's huge. <laughs> oh my oh, god. Oh, yeah. It, wow. it, the force perspective <laughs> on the Zoom call looks like uh looks like Gandalf and Frodo. Um, <laughs> also, That's how much I love coffee. We have one more character to talk about, and that is the smoking hot I mean we see his picture in the <laughs> halls of the fraternity, a smoking hot picture of Cariels as Professor Ooh. Gelson. Who, oh. for those of you who don't know Carrie Ells, was in the film Saw, Kissed the Girls, and played the evil <laughs> Dr. Jonas Miller from Twister, who is obviously How in it. How dare you? He's in it for the money and not the science. Not the um, science. I'm going to say Carrie Ells, a uh, stealth genre icon, because uh-huh. you got to show Dracula, throw Dracula in there, too. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. he's Jonathan yeah. Harker. Not Jonathan Harker. He's, um, That's right. Who's he in that? He's, he's one of the also he's the, he Is he Dr. Seward? Or no, 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 no. he's, he's the one she chooses. The other I think he's the, he's the other suitor. I can't remember his name. The other yeah. suitor. The, the question I have is, where did everybody first remember Carrie Ells from? Oh, Princess, oh, Princess Bride. Bride. Princess Bride. Maybe Robin Hood Men in Tight. See, I remember Ooh, really? from Hot Shots. Yeah. That's the first time I remember. That's right. Like noticing who the hell he was. See, I saw Princess Bride in theaters. I'm, I, I'm not. I'm not. Oh. I'm not old. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. same. I grew up watching Princess. Bride. But Jen, you don't remember yeah. until like uh, Men in Tights, though. You, you think? I, I love Princess it. Bride. Terrified me when I was little. I was really <laughs> afraid of the machine. Oh wow. Oh so yeah. The machine. It took me a while to buy it. The RUSs. Yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. still not sure I've seen Princess Bride in its entirety. Oh, you know what, Vanderbilt? I think oh, I do think that you will love no, that. Oh, movie. I hear you it. Sit down so watch good. it. I, I think everybody's it's, uh, it's told me the same great. thing and just haven't made that commitment because I was too busy watching exploitation from Crown International Pictures. Switchblade yeah. Sisters. Yeah. Right? This, goes to your, sisters. this goes to your point, Vanderbilt. You said you're always looking to watch something you haven't seen. So maybe throw yeah. on Princess Bride. Bride. There you go. Yeah. Stop re watching Black Christmas 2019. <laughs> you got to move on. <laughs> okay. So Carrie. Spoiler alert, is a bad guy. In, in What's a spoiler? It's it's laid out from moment one. Well, first, off, yeah. he's, first off, he's British. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's not yeah, a, we dead a giveaway that he's uh, a bad guy. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Um, Unlike other professors, he can speak with a British accent. Hey. I love I love the moment in the, when he's talking to Riley and he says, you know, some of the boys said the prank went too far. And I'm like, oh, uh-huh. those fraternity boys complained about that prank going mm-hmm. too far. Like it, that was kind of funny to me because obviously yeah. he's just like, you know, well, picking I mean, on Riley. I got but... problems with them throughout the movie uh, from from minute one. It's like, oh, you know, of course he's the leader. And, mm-hmm. and then just the whole 
I, I can't, I'd like to see how much he got paid for this because I don't know how he was able to try to sell that whole final, uh, the monologue at the oh, end. Oh, he's just having to say, so like, so he says, supernatural strength and drive. I'm like, oh, he says, the, the, right, the boys well. discovered something magical inside. He says that oh. in the movie. <laughs> and, uh, and, I, and I said, oh, they're a master of the dark arts. This is, this really is like tied <laughs> ah, to Harry Potter. I don't know. It didn't work for me. I usually like Elvis, but, um, I mean, I feel like he made the most of what this character is and has to say. Yeah, he yeah. gives a solid, like, he's he's not phoning it in. He's giving a performance. In he's the not movie. phoning it in. He's, he's definitely on set. Definitely uh, on set. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, okay, so I think we, by default, we've talked about the, the guys a lot in the bit. Does anybody have anything else to say about Carrie Ellis except that he was like kind of the ringleader of this? Yeah. I, well, um, other like, than, uh, you know. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, go ahead, Jen. I, I, my point. <laughs> I do enjoy like just the idea of these men and the idea of what this this foe is, because I do think it is a very ham fisted depiction of the patriarchy. But I think with a little more nuance, I think it would be a very apt depiction. Yeah, of there's the moments. So I do like that. Yeah, there are absolutely yeah. moments. And honestly, I mean, we said they're stereotypical men, but there's a, there's a reason why it's stereotypical, uh, totally. stereotypical of a fraternity, because I do know some fraternities that have guys like that so it's like oh well, me too what, what can you do right and as far as him like a tenured professor like yeah he can get away with doing all this shit mm-hmm. yeah oh yeah his yeah. he might as well be like twisting a mustache he was like oh well it was actually a female writer that said this <laughs> oh yeah i mean that <laughs> it's so like <laughs> now before we move uh, before we move uh, on to the next section i just want to talk in general really quickly about the villains as a whole do, do the do the black mask archer villains work for you versus and i i guess i don't even want to say let's not even let's leave the old one out because this is its own movie do, yeah, it's hard do to the do the black mask archer death eaters work for you in this film yeah sure it's fine it fits yes. right in with the whole tone of the whole thing Absolutely. It does. It works for me as a metaphor too. I think because I I think it spells out in the trailer. Like I knew it was going to be more than one. Also, it's a fraternity, so you know there are more than one. But like I like the idea. I like the broad strokes of the idea that the patriarchy is not a single person. And whereas Michael Myers would keep getting up over and over and over again, here it is person after person after person. So you can kill one, but yeah. you can't kill them all. There's other stuff. Again, yeah, I, I had no issues yeah. with. Uh, like, and I think. We didn't really talk about this, though. I love the look of the inside of that house with the Christmas lights doing most of the lighting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, during that whole sequence also really added to it. I, yeah, I have no problem. It's a terrific looking movie. I it really yeah, I is. Yeah. How, how do we all feel about the line, the power of the founder compels you? <laughs> well, you know, Mac, I have many. We could literally just go here and do another hour on me ticking off certain dialogue. And, oh, yeah. Uh, that's just... At that point, I'm just I'm, I'm so washed over by that point, you know, just let just let it all wash over me. It stood out to me because of obviously it was like the second exorcist uh, connection in this. I was mm. looking for a third. Well, Jason Bloom was teasing us for his upcoming That's reboot right. oh, That's God. Right. The exor- of the exorcist trilogy. Uh, Claudette's Revenge, maybe. OK, OK. It can be season six on Halloween. It needs to be the, all the exorcist movies and series. Has anybody ever done a supercut of cats and horror movies? Is that on YouTube? That's what no, cats I, is. I, I charge think, you. Right? I charge you <laughs> to do it, Vanderbilt. <laughs> the butthole cut. It's just cats being thrown off of cliffs and Milo notice. <laughs> oh yeah, that's the one where all the, the dogs died. Yeah. We finally found it. Okay, I'm sorry. We are on the home stretch here. So let's move to our next category. Break graphics. Uh what graphics? <laughs> 
What do you know? I beat my high score. <laughs> VFX Legion's global team of artists led by James David Hattie created the visual effects for Black Christmas. Now, what I bring this up because you mentioned it earlier, actually. So this was shot in New Zealand at the University of Otago. I was going to ask what you guys think about the look of the film, and we were all saying, oh, it looks really good, it looks really good, the snow, this and this and that. you all know that snow is mostly fake? Wow. That it was digitized? Wow. I oh, think wow, not even, like, on-set snow. Like, wow. like uh, potato, what is it, a uh, mashed like potato? Yeah. So there might yeah. have been some snow on the ground, and I saw a picture. So there was an article, and, uh, God, I'm forgetting what I was looking at, but there's an article out there if you look up VFX Legion's, uh, you know, CGI, yeah. whatever for Black Christmas, it's out there. But they had a picture of like the scene when Riley and the girls and Landon are walking to walking from the DKO house, and there's like all that snow on the ground. They show like what was actually there versus what was there. And I tell you right now, tip my hat to VFX Legends because, uh, sorry, VFX Legions because I that's when that works when you don't notice it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that exactly. Is CG I, yeah. Is that's incredible. Job. It was snow. Yeah. I mean, the the original Black Christmas captures, you know, the coldness of Christmas, I think, better than a lot of movies. And it's because yeah. it's Canada, so it's actual, Canada, yeah. it, there's snow on the ground. And like, when you shoot Christmas movies in L.A. that are supposed to be in the Midwest, like it always just looks, you can tell it's too warm. Like Jingle All the Way is a movie where I think about that, uh, where it, it the snow just doesn't look authentic. Mm-hmm. And running scared, which is set in Chicago, uses a mix of fake snow and real snow that works. Mm-hmm. And that's because the snow is so filthy, which is definitely Chicago snow. Uh, so, I, yeah, the CGI snow worked for this week. I did not know. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I take back I once again. I, I, yeah. you know, I stood corrected on my Nate dialogue uh, with the whistling, and I stand corrected now. I was very snarky because my my main uh, takeaway before I learned that the, the snow was mostly digitized is the fact that so much of the uh, I guess the not just the murders, but the after effect, the discoveries yes. seemed like they were also heavily edited. So I didn't really know where there were yeah. a lot of effects. Right. In this movie. And usually but, when uh, we're that's talking, a huge part, obviously, when we're talking about effects, usually we are talking about the kill scenes and, yeah. you know, yeah. the graphicness of how so-and-so dies or something. But yeah, but and I've I, seen I, movies with bad CGI snow. Yes. Oh, yes. yeah. And, and so this yes. looked really good. I so yeah. if, if you universal money on your yearly rewatch, if you catch. Uh, the the university the, when they show the university at distance there's snow on the roof I didn't pick up on any of that and I think that's when you know the uh, CGFX stuff is working and uh, you know we need more of that in film uh, it, it, the, the, unsung, the unsung heroes because it's the stuff you don't notice there's actually a background right. that's not there you know kind of thing Although well, I will throw the uh, the 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 bust with the Jägermeister coming out yes, as a terrific they, effect. They mentioned that in the article too, and I was like, yes, 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 yes. That that is, that is true. I think I was so anti black goo. I was like, I didn't want to include that initially. Right. Goo for you. Well, um, and I will say sorry, like Jen. another thing that is just as like you notice it when it's bad as CGI fire. And I mm. think oh, the yeah. final battle, as much as I am, have a lot of conflicted feelings about what is actually happening, it looks good. I, <laughs> yeah. I like yeah. it. Yeah, <laughs> it know? looks good. No, no knocks. Okay. Well, that was our two cents on the special effects of the film. Let's move on to scene selection. Have you heard about this videotape that kills you when you watch it? What kind of tape? A tape. A regular tape. People run it. I don't know. You start to play it, and it's like somebody's nightmare. Now, scene selection is where we talk about our favorite scene from the film in a rapid-fire 
you know, session here. I'm going to go first. I've already mentioned it. It's frozen Fran. I, I, I think that's so effective. It stuck with me. I think it's really haunting. And I wish I had wished there was more of that, but honestly I can go back and watch the original black Christmas if I want more of that. So that's fine. But, uh, that was kind of my favorite moment was that I was really like, Ooh, that was creepy. You know, <laughs> they did that. Mm. um, what, what about y'all? I, uh, we actually didn't talk about this actor, Lucy Curry, who played Lindsay. Mm. I think the opening with the... Oh, uh, yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's my mistake. Vanderbilt, I think maybe you mentioned it hour, literally hours ago. It was the, the, the snow angel and the, the pan, the pan up and then the black Christmas tile card. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, a, that's my favorite scene of the movie. And I like that they use the same typeface, and I can't remember if they did in the remake, the 06... Uh, they probably did some garish I don't think they did. lettering yeah. in 06. <laughs> but uh, I hope that if they keep doing these, they always retain that that typeface. Yeah. Yeah, the typeface was a favorite part of mine. And like you said, the Snow Angels. And I kind of like how it turns into an action movie in those last 10 minutes. Yeah. It, it, it works for me at that point. That's my favorite. My You messed with the wrong sisters. I love that. I would take out 90% of the dialogue that follows that, but like that, <laughs> yeah, that yeah, scene, right? it's just fun and they're working together. Yeah. So, um, and yeah, then there's and, just a moment. It's that's a good moment. Like as forces, it can kind of feel sometimes that one they earned that one. Yeah. Uh, Justin, I thank you for bringing up Lucy Curry. Cause I totally just missed talking about her. Well, <laughs> and I Max, think that she is was in the opening. recently, recently canceled cowboy bebop. That's right. Oh. That's right. She's in a couple episodes of that. Rest in peace. I think as, as a character, Judy. Okay, great. Let's move on to our next category. And everybody said, right? Yeah, yeah. Everybody. Yeah, I think okay. so. Okay. Uh, let's move on to our next category called, and this will be very short, but fun, Candy Isle. Candy cane, come on. <laughs> I knew it. These guys are so fucking horny. This is where we discuss the plethora of merchandise for the film. That's out there now. Everybody, I want you to t- tell me what's your favorite bit of Black Christmas 2019 merchandise. Now, I know none of, not really existed. Probably is like a T-shirt out there, maybe. Maybe a hat, maybe a production hat. I like to talk about the items that aren't out there, that don't exist. I would love to see uh, Neko make a figure of Frozen Fran with the, the balcony so you can pose her uh, frozen dead on the balcony or, or maybe a, a, a lit up Jess in the chair with the removable glass shard that you can take out if you want her to have not to just no, have it them would be strangled. To, it, it's back would be permanently to you because it wasn't included in the movie. <laughs> yeah. Or uh, I got a good one. Yeah. Yeah. So I would like to see uh, like a really nice silver cologne of the Hawthorne bust. Ah. And it's like this black goo you kind of like rub on your neck. Yeah. <laughs> it's really yeah. like that. Is it like a big don't date me signal? <laughs> yeah, it's, well, it's, 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 vis, it's visibly black goo. Yeah. And it creates a rash. Yeah. Yeah. So the, yeah. I would like to see the limited edition Jägermeister bottle of black goo and a Christmas ornament of uh, the young lady dead as the snow angel with the snow. Oh Behind yeah, her. yeah. Oh, that's yeah. a good one. And then uh, my from Hallmark, please. Yeah, Jen, do you have one? You yeah, think? I mean the obvious one is a Black Christmas branded diva cup, right? <laughs> oh my god, I love it. Yeah, <laughs> there we go. Opportunity. <laughs> totally. Now listen, I do is. want that comb though. Like I would love a comb like that. That's oh, good. courage comb. I've gotten courage everybody comb. a courage comb for Christmas. A black Christmas courage comb. <laughs> I've gotten everybody <laughs> one. So look in the, keep your eyes peeled for the mail. And also, if somebody, if somebody. Uh, 
you give it to somebody, you probably don't trust them. Yeah, exactly. That's a death giveaway. But you can thread it through your fingers and make a weapon. So ah, yeah. that's true. That's true. Now, then my last one would be uh, it. It would be a um, you can build the classroom, and it comes with a removable Professor Gelson. <laughs> whether you want to enact the petition. Or yeah. not. Sign the petition, edit the syllabus, you know. I'd like to r- remove the character from the movie. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, you know what? We should just have a, 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 a like a NECA like bust of the bust, right? That o- actually oozes black goo. Yeah. And you can make it set. You can make it chilled and you could chill the Jägermeister and the Jägermeister mm. comes out of the bust. Oh. It just comes out various pores of yeah. the bust, too. It's not just like the yeah, top. Not just it's, just like, it's like you have like to squeeze it out into your you glass. You just have to like hold your cup. Oh, you know, two things I want to mention before. This doesn't have to do with Candy Alba. We never mentioned them was the swapping of the kills with the the unicorn statue and the... The icicle, oh, and the, the plastic, the plastic, and the plastic yeah. wrap, and, and so that was obviously those are all actually nods to the original. So I, I just wanted to make sure we covered that. Oh, and the house of the sorority was something seventy four. Oh, was it hmm. not not the first, not the main sorority house, but the uh, the decal, the, the fake house. out sorority house. Oh, the fake oh, out. Oh, yeah. oh, nice. And this movie was made in in nineteen seventy four. The original was the made original, in nineteen seventy four. Yeah. There you go. Uh, okay, well, uh, love the candy owl. Always fun. Let's move on to our final thoughts in a category we like to call the checkout. Get him out of here. Bye. I'll fix you, Venkman. I'm going to fix you. I'm going to get you a nice fruit basket. I'm going to miss him. Okay, I'm going to say, let's use one to five uh, of Chris's arrows from the end of the film Mm. uh, as your rating as we continue here. Let's start. With our guest first, Jen, what, how many arrows, how many, how many of Chris's arrows do you give this film? Uh, okay. Um, I am going to have to give it arrows from my heart, I think, because there's so much that I love about this movie, even though I recognize that it has just as many flaws, like technically plot, um, you know, but I love the conversation that this movie starts, I think, with people that are willing to um you know, engage in that conversation. I think the flaw is that uh, it is so strong that it, or so like it wears its message so much on its sleeve that I think it kind of um, keeps people away from that conversation that really need to have it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love what it is trying to do. I wish it had given been given a little more time. As I said earlier, I think uh, I'm really, uh, my heart says to give it four arrows with the diva cup. Oh, with the diva cup on top. Yep. Oh, all right. <laughs> well, all right, diva Jen. cup, you know. In, in. All right, uh, Justin. You know, I've listed my grievances with the movie. I, I don't think it's awful by any means, but I don't necessarily. I can't. I can't. I can't recommend it. I'll say that. Uh, like Jen said, it, it's you know you're the very between the the viewer, right? But right. I think that the over the top messaging was is kind of sloppily done throughout most of it. And it, it, the messaging is extremely noticeable throughout in a way that I don't even know if it was necessarily supposed to be intentional. I think it, it was over the, it hit you over the head too much. I don't mind straight up text, but when the whole thing is text, I don't know. I've, 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 I've aired my grievances for the last you know, hour and a, two and a half hours at this point. And the uh, movie looks great. The performances themselves are good. I just think it kind of, the script kind of gets lost along the way. And so I would give this uh, two of Chris's arrows out of five, plus a free subscription to Amazon Prime, so you can watch IMDb TV 
and Leverage Redemption. Yes. Starring yes. Uh, oh, Elise Shannon, think. who plays Chris. That's right. Mike, what do you think? So, as I said, I do enjoy how serious the film is about its theme, the Me Too themes, uh, uh, female empowerment, rape culture, the nastier side of frat culture. And when the film turns up the action slasher elements for the last half hour and gets into its batty, stupid, with two O's, climax, it's welcome. I love it. I appreciate that that whiplash. Like I said, it reminds me, <laughs> I mean, it maybe it was shorter to be like a really good Twilight Zone episode, or like I said, like an EC Comics story. And it's unfortunate that the film pulls its punches on its messaging by, you know, making Landon a sympathetic character. I think it would have held more weight if they had had him make the heel turn. Uh, but upon a second viewing from last year, Rose from a, it, I, was, I originally, initially rated it as a two and a half star movie that I liked. I'm a 41 year old man. And while this movie isn't necessarily aimed towards me, and it certainly doesn't hold a candle to that original film, and nothing ever will. I found a lot to enjoy and appreciate at this uh, point, uh, and I hope that the Black Christmas series will hopefully continue and always approach women's issue with a gallows humor, horror aesthetics, and brutal deaths, more brutal than the ones in this one every couple of years. It's also expertly paced, looks fantastic. The movie's custom-made for 13-year-old girls and really should become a sleepover favorite for that age group. Uh, I love a lot of stupid movies from my youth, and every generation deserves their own stupid movies. Three three uh, arrows from Mike Vanderbilt. All right, all right. I, I, I like that. Uh, three, three of Chris's arrows, Vanderbilt. Yeah, that's three right. Chris's arrows. That's right. And I like that take, Mike. I do also, I, I, I agree. I, I like a lot of schlocky dumb books. So that's the idea. And I love them, you know, but like, uh, but I do like the idea of if they start leaning into, they're always going to make a Black Christmas movie every so many years. It's just going to be called Black Christmas. No subtitles, right? That's the only take franchise where money. I would be like, always just have the same name, but yeah. I could always address whatever's going on at that time if they do that, but I doubt they will. We'll probably see a direct remake of the original in 10 years or three years for that matter, because they seem to do these things every four years now. Let's see. I personally, I think it starts off okay. I'd say the first 45 minutes are pretty decent, a decent take on the original. I do think that it is wholly undercut by the bust of Calvin Hawthorne and the, the supernatural did not land for me. I, I don't think that the power that the men don't actually have over themselves is saying anything. I, I think that that really takes away from it. You've got to have them culpable for it. You know, like they've got to be responsible, but I think it's a strong message that just ultimately missed the mark for me. I think it gets downright silly in the end uh, where Vanderbilt loves it. I was just kind of like, you know, oh gosh, like what's happening here? But uh, I did like that last moment with the with everything burning down. I'm going to give it two arrows from Chris and maybe some and some CG snow that you don't recognize. Uh, it's an average of uh, 2.75. Yeah. Of Chris's arrows yeah. out of five. I, I think like that's it's pretty it's, fair. I think th- those that's arrows, fair, yeah. Those arrows hit the bullseye because, again, there are some solid legs but that before mm-hmm. the rug gets pulled out from underneath them. And, and if I had to choose a film uh, um, on similar topics from, from, from the Plumhouse realm, it'd probably be The Invisible Man uh, before I said Black Christmas. But that's a totally different um, take and totally different viewpoint, I guess. Uh, my, my alternate suggested viewing would be the Slumber Party Massacre remake mm. and a movie that Jen recommended, uh, VFA. Oh, MFA. MFA. Yes. What's VFA? VFA. I hear that's oh. yeah, yeah, think, think like the Victorville yeah. Film Archives from, uh, <laughs> oh, <wow. laughs> from On Cinema with Greg Turkington. No, yes, MFA is, MFA is, is it's not very funny, I can say that, but uh, it's it's a good revenge movie, I'll put it that way. Cool. Yep. 
And there's also Revenge, which is a French movie, which is also very good. Oh, that one's pretty and good, too. And there's also Revenge, uh, a Tony Scott film with Kevin Costner. Oh, and God, which I have to say, I cannot recommend. That is not a good movie. <laughs> Isn't Anthony Quinn in that one, too? Yes, he is. Oh, yeah. He's the, 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 oh. the, the villain, I believe. Yeah. Well, that's it. For our rental, we're going to be kind and rewind that as we wrap up this episode. But Jen, tell us where we can find you and uh, what's next for Psychoanalysis. Well, you can find me um, on the Losers Club talking Stephen mm-hmm, King mm-hmm. stuff. Lots of Christmas Stephen King stuff this month. And you can also find me on Psychoanalysis, which is a horror therapy podcast. Um, if you like what I said on this episode, I talk more about this. We just, um, our reigning episode right now is Bride of Chucky, which is a comfort horror episode. And then um, fellow Halloweeny Mike Rothman was just on an episode talking about Black Swan and we have got an episode on Carnival of Souls coming up. And so lots mm. of fun stuff. We're going to be tackling some Stephen King stuff in the new year. And Justin was on our Simpsons episode. And I need to get you and Mac and Mike on a Comfort Horror yeah, episode, yeah, too. Definitely. So, yeah. yeah. So lots of fun Ooh. stuff. And you can find me at Jen Ferratu on Place. You've specifically said no Vanderbilt on psychoanalysis. <laughs> I remember. Isn't that right? <laughs> no. oh, oh, sorry. Are we still recording? <laughs> I did want to mention too. I also write a column for Dread Central about called Matriarchy Rising, which is about the as as on brand for me as you can get. And I have a an issue about this movie, so check that out too. That is right. You can and find you can find my write up on Wikipedia on the film Hannibal <laughs> Rising. Love that jawline, Mike. Oh God, will Mike. I ever see it? Will I ever see the movie? What is going on in your neck of the woods, Mike, and where can we find you? Well, uh, over at Windy City Double Feature Picture Show, we've got an episode dropping soon that coincides with a screening at the Music Box Theater of Santa Claus Conquers the Martians, that schlocky mm. 60s favorite. <laughs> and uh, Wow, what a time. Yeah, <laughs> it's a good one. A lot of people were introduced to it by Mystery Science Theater. So this, yes, so was I. This will be probably the first time where I actually sit down and watch it without Joel and the bots. And you can, of course, find me on the Halloweenies. We've got a lot of Halloweenies coming out this week. Uh, we had the Silent Night Deadlight commentary. We've got the Christmas party coming up. And, of course, this Black Christmas. And uh, you can find me on Twitter at Mike Vanderbilt. But my current holiday name is Felatio20880, which is a new exchange. Now, that's in honor of something. Isn't that in honor of... Oral it's Black Christmas. <laughs> no, Black. It's a no. It's Jen. No, no, no. Black Christmas. What? what you say it was she an literally thought it was. She thought it was yes, the definition of fellatio. Oh. No, 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 no. Oh, it's okay, literally a I reference gotcha. to Black Christmas. It's something That's dirty, right. isn't it? Oh my god! <laughs> I haven't done my yearly rewatch yet. Sorry. That'll be the Zoom video poll for the advertising of the episode. Oh god! <laughs> me doing. Oh, uh, and that's for me. <laughs> okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> Justin. Oh, my God. Uh, I know. We finally went off the rails two hours and 40 minutes in. Hey, you know, you can find me on the Halloweenies, obviously, as you're listening to this now. You you know this very well. And you can find uh, Jen, myself, Mac, and others on the Losers Club podcast. Jen and I just did an episode on The Girl Who Loved Tom Gordon. Yeah. Which I thought went really well. I did, too. That's and, right. yeah, that's... Yeah. that's uh, and and the socials, you can find me on the socials, but I'm not that interesting. Continue. That's right, and I'm. I you're pretty funny found... sometimes when you're <laughs> yeah, talking sure. shit. Yeah. And I can obviously be found here in Halloweenies and Losers Club. We just did our episode on Hearts in Atlantis with the second part coming out soon. Uh, we've got the faculty to round off the end of the year, mm. um, so stay tuned for that. 
Well, that's it, folks. Campus security is rolling in around making sure there's no one left on campus. So we better head home by the light of the fire that is currently burning down the DKO house. Uh. And since we're only juniors and undoubtedly coming back, we'll look over our shoulders at the Hawthorne campus and say, we'll be be right right back. back. This is the end of our show. For now. We hope you enjoyed this production. If you like our programming, consider searching for other bloody disgusting podcasts, such as Creepy, Horror Queers, The Boo Crew, SCP Archives, Nightlight, Margaret's Garden, and more.